There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, kids. Welcome to Just a Game. I'm your podcast friend, Rob Kerr. Thanks for joining us. Um, we're doing this show live. Treaty 7 Territory. It's a, an inclusive program, so anybody and everybody is welcome. If, if you want to just hang out and, and vibe with us today, I guess that's the new word. Do that. Uh, loving this program. Loving, loving, loving this program. Two great guests scheduled for you. Danny Austin for Post Media. Uh, a lot of you know him from his outstanding work covering the CFL and the Calgary Stampeders, but he's also been covering uh, the Calgary Flames. And, well, he's a man of all seasons. So he's going to join us actually in studio, the new, the new look. Oodle Noodle Studio. Welcome to the Oodle Noodle Suite. You see it behind us here? Oodle Noodle and just a game. That's us. It's fantastic. Um, also, this is a treat. Uh, I, I think you're going to enjoy this one. I am for sure. And uh, that's part of the battle sometimes, I guess, is uh, we got to make sure we're doing the stuff we love. Brody DuPont. Does that name ring a bell? Brody DuPont? Uh, former four-year member of the Calgary Hitman, drafted by the New York Rangers back in, I think, 2006. Went on to a, a rather lengthy career in the American Hockey League and then over in Europe and is now coaching the Cardiff Devils of the uh, Elite Ice Hockey League in Britain, in England, and in, in the UK with some incredible Calgary ties. So we'll likely get into that uh, with Brody and catch up on uh, what because they're right in the middle of a, a playoff hunt. Doubt very much that they're caught up in all of this uh, trade deadline shenanigans. But there is trade deadline shenanigans to get going. All right. Uh, let's start off with the last night uh, or the last Flames game, if you're listening to this at another time. Uh, holy crap. This team, and I was, I've was i been racking my brain all day, this team is Alexi Kovalev. This team is Alexi Kovalev, both with the Stanley Cup in their history. But if you remember Alexei Kovalev, at times, his teammates, the people around him, referred to him as the most talented player in the game, yet consistently underperformed, consistently underwhelmed, was good one year, wasn't so good. that The Calgary Flames are the Alexei Kovalev of teams right now. That was as dominating a performance against a team that is likely going to set a record for wins this year in the National Hockey League in the regular season. That was as dominant a performance as you're going to see. I mean, right after them, right from the drop of the puck, they got going, they got some good momentum, they got some pressure, and then guess what? The first shot went in against. 
eighth time this season, second game in a row. This team was trailing in the first period, seven uh, two nothing, and out shooting Boston by a 15-4 margin. As the game wore on, you thought, okay, this is likely going to turn into Colorado, another goal for Boston, and it's going to get away on the local hockey heroes. That did not happen. Uh, give credit to the local hockey heroes. They fought back. Uh, they fought all the way back in the third period. Looked like they were about to stun the Bruins with uh, uh, two goals in just over a minute to take a 3-2 lead. Uh, a team that had yet to come back in the third period to win a hockey game, the Flames, and a team that had yet to surrender a lead in the third period this season, the Bruins. And it looked like it was on path for that. And then Nikita Zodorov took out everybody. Just kind of went playing physical, trying hard. You know, it was not a lack of effort, but wiped out, I believe, Dylan Dubé. It opens up a lane. The Bruins, too talented to be given that opportunity. Orlov having in the game of his life, already with two goals, makes a, a nice, sweet, soft pass to the side of the net. And I believe it's Jake DeBrusque, the Albertan, that taps it in. Go to overtime. Okay, overtime has not been great for the Flames, but this one starts off real good. Great opportunities. Keep, keep going. 6-3, they're, they're out shooting the Bruins, but... With four seconds left, I don't know. I don't have to tell anybody. You got, you know, 4-3, overtime loss. Um, couple thoughts on this one. Rasmus Anderson might have been the best player on the ice. Uh, played the most of anybody on the ice. Uh, was a force and a factor out there. In a year in which we're not allowed to talk about the good stuff because the bad stuff is hanging over this team like a dark cloud, Rasmus Anderson is coming into his own, continues to develop, He's going to be an all-star in this league, kids. He is. Is he going to battle for a Norris Trophy? Maybe in the same way that if Mark Giordano continues to, you know, or if he continues to build like Mark, Mark Giordano did, maybe a little later on in, in his development. But, man, he was good. Um, Walker Dewar didn't play a lot, but when he was out there, it was noticeable. Gives that fourth line a dimension. Passes the puck a lot better than I thought. Don't think he's destined... We'll see. It's still early in the career, but he might be more than just a fourth-line player. He might bump you up into the third line there and, again, continue to be overly impressed with uh, Jacob Pelche. When the Flames went ahead 3-2 and it looked like Pelche might have got that goal, great shot from the bench of him and, and Huberto celebrating. It's a loss. We're angry, all of those sort of things. So, Rob, why are you bringing up these positives? Because there's some things that we need to investigate. There's some things we really need to pay attention to. If this team was falling apart in the cracks, you wouldn't see that. They tried. They hustled. They went after the best team. In the ah, but Rob, let me argue with myself here, folks. Second game in as many nights for Boston. They were tired. B.S. It's the ninth time they played back-to-back. Uh, -back. They'll play 14 times this year. Game one, they're 7-0-2 oh, on the season. Game two, they improved to 7-2. and two. This is a good hockey club. The Flames continue to be that enigma wrapped in a riddle. They look good. Okay, why did they lose goaltending? Absolutely. There's, there's no sugarcoating this. Two goals on five shots for Zadorov, including the first one going in. Markstrom was, was good. Markstrom was solid, but Markstrom didn't steal you this game. And Kiprasov, uh, Markstrom last year, maybe even Vladar last year, would have made a save, would have made a play, maybe would have read the Orlov pass. I mean, wishes and dreams and all of those things won't buy you a cup of coffee, but the goaltending is just not good enough. And you know what? 
yes, they were dangerous in overtime, but you got to win in overtime. And if you go all the way back to Daryl Sutter's first Fourier as coach of this club, they have never been good beyond extra time. They just haven't. They haven't been good in shootouts. Um, not saying it's his fault, but there is a little bit of history here. And again, 23rd, one goal loss of the season. Let that sink in. I think they're the Alexi Kovalev of teams. I really do. I think they're talented. They're underperforming. They drive you nuts. They drive you batty. Two more days to acquire um, Chikrin. Uh, I'm sure there's some guys in Columbus we've never heard of that we could get. Not a lot left. Uh, continues to be busy. All right. Uh, four shows in and we effed up. Four shows in and we effed up. What did I tell you guys? What was the manifesto all about? This show is about information, not affirmation. I don't want you coming here to me to tell you what to think. We ran a clip last because I had a theory that after the Tyler uh, or the the Nashville deal with Tampa Bay for Genoa, in which they got, I think, nine picks or five picks in a player, whatever it was. I got thinking, geez, you know, maybe there's a shift coming in hockey. Maybe we're not a va- maybe we're not, you know, kind of uh, uh, valuing draft picks anymore. And then, lo and behold, uh, Frank Saravelli was with Jason Greger on Monday on their show, and he had this great point. Frank had this clip, so I, I had our outstanding uh, producer Princey grab it. Oh, this is so we gotta we gotta play this because this this really supports my theory. That draft picks aren't valuable anymore. Uh, and he, he was talking about that. He was told by a GM over the weekend that after the 24th pick, you have a 2, 2.4% chance of any pick beyond that, of the 211 from 10 years ago and whatever it is now, that would play 100 games in the NHL. And I go, there's gold. Frank Saravelli says it. I can play it. It supports my theory. And it did support my theory. Except it's wrong. Except that it's wrong. And that's on me. Okay? That's on me. A person tweeted me and said, would you please walk me through your math on this? In fairness, it's Frank's math. But that's not not the point. I'm taking responsibility for this. So I, I grabbed three random seasons. I grabbed 10 years ago, 9 years ago, and 11 years ago. Uh, well, drafts ago. Sorry. So in 2012, uh, 48 players drafted beyond the 24th spot in the first round, went on to play 100 more games. That's 25.6%. That's pretty high. Not as high as 2011 when 56 of those players, 187 players, ended up playing 100 more games. That's 29.9%. And then uh, nine years ago, nine drafts ago, uh, 45 players out of 187, ended up playing 100 more. That's 24%. Now, I'm no math wizard, but I am accountable to you. So uh, kudos to the person that called me on that. Will I will I correct every mistake? No, there's not enough time humanly for me to do that. But I do want to know, or want you to know, I am accountable to you. So thank you to that person. Um, oh, by the way, Gary was in town. This is um, This is tough for me to talk about, folks. This is tough. Gary Bettman. I guess I shouldn't use that first name. I could use that first name. Um, It is the first time in 19 years that the commissioner of the National Hockey League has come to this city 
and not spent time with me. I don't feel personally offended. I feel disappointed for you because it would have been an opportunity for me to get to the bottom of some of the answers, some of the questions, of course, uh, you know, famously, uh, you know, I challenged him to a fight on the air to prove a point. Uh, These are the types of things we'd like to deliver to you. I feel like I let you down. This is a tough start. I tell me this program is going to get better. Okay. I just want to be honest with you. Uh, Gary's apparently talked to the premier, the mayor and city council about the building feels very optimistic. Cool. Um, I thought this one was a little bit, that stuff we'll see. Uh, everybody's optimistic today, but when the rubber hits the road, we'll all buy in. Uh, Gary's getting a little pissed off with this. Uh, we're holding players out for trade related reasons. And I, I note this, uh, because if, if you're a listener of the Bob McCowan podcast, uh, about 10 days ago, uh, they had Bill Daly on and Bill was asked that same question. We're not surprised, not concerned. We're monitoring nothing to see here and move along. And now you got the commissioner acknowledging that this thing has taken off. Well, guess what? When you give an inch, they take a mile. I love general managers. I do. They're some of the nicest people in the world. Wouldn't give any of them my wallet. They're in it to win it. You give them an inch, they're going to kick down the door. Guess what? You're going to see legislation in the NHL next year that will prohibit. I, 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 I see it coming. Prohibit or restrict or somehow limit the ability of teams to hold players out. Um, by the way, Anaheim tonight will hold out a couple of defensemen, uh, including Klingberg. Uh, so, you know, as we get closer and closer, more teams are doing it. I think the egregious one here is the Jacob Chikrin, uh, who has not played now in what? in 2023 or something like that. I think it's two weeks going. So we'll watch that with great interest. Um, We may bring this up with our first guest. I'm going to bring him on a little early because he's here. Uh, Today's reading assignment. uh, Funny enough, he works for Post Media and so does Derek Van Deest. The reading assignment, Canada soccer problems go well beyond former president, Dr. Nick Bontis. If you haven't been paying attention to this story, please do. Um, It's, it's really complicated. It's really complicated, to be perfectly honest. And the, the two or three steps forward this nation has taken in soccer may be undone by a couple of steps backwards. Uh, but Derek did an amazing job of also pointing out the hypocrisy and, quite honest, damn near criminality of FIFA. Uh, the government would like to bring uh, the Canadian uh, soccer business group in front of parliament to answer questions about the deal that's kind of at the center of everything, the women's national team uh, payment, uh, why Nick Bontis is on the way out. But Van Deese does a really good job of explaining that, you know who doesn't like that? FIFA doesn't like that. And do you know what steps FIFA might take? They might ban Canada, could ban Canada, might, it's possible, legally they could ban Canada from participating in the Women's World Cup in Australia. They could do that because of the what they would call government interference. So, you know, there's government interference, Russia style, and then there's apparently Canadian style, which is looking for transparency and for answers. So anyway, that's today's reading assignment. It'll be up on Twitter here in a little while. Uh, Let's do this. Let Let us bring in our first guest. And I keep saying this, but I've had an agenda since day one. There were certain people that I wanted on the program since I retired and unretired. 
and he is one of them. Uh, you can follow him at Danny Austin nine on uh, Twitter. He works for post media. He is a man of many colors and many coats. Danny Austin, kind enough to join us here in the Oodle Doodle Studio. How are you? I'm good, man. You guys have a nice setup here. Not bad. I right? say. Um, yeah, I'm impressed. I'm excited to be here. Um, I will say, listening to your intro, I saw something forget that more than anyone in Calgary media, you. You, you, you pick fights. Um, I feel like I've seen you in the last week and a half challenge someone to a wrestling match. Yes. I just found out that you challenged Gary Duck into a fight. I love that. I think we need we need that fighting spirit more here. So just wanted to offer my appreciation before we back up. A little context to Gary Duck story. 2000, by the way, if you're looking for that echo, it's gone now, Mark. So good job, buddy. Um 2004, prior to, so after Todd Bertuzzi hit Dominic Moore, but, or pardon me, after Dominic hit Moore, after he hit Naslin, but prior to Bertuzzi hitting him, Gary Bettman came to town. And if you remember in 2004, there was a controversy about the initial hit and the response to the initial hit. And my first opportunity to talk to Gary Bettman was between these places and we were talking about the role of fighting and I got rather animated. And I said, so I can challenge you to a fight and Frank Brown, your handler, what's he supposed to do? He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if I beat you up, does Frank then come and beat me up? And we had a lot of fun with it. It was, but it made the point about the culture, of course. Right. And here we are 19 years later, still having in many ways, the similar conversation. So this is a long way of going. If I challenge you to a fight today, it's likely just to prove a point. Good. And I'm a terrible fighter, I think. I haven't been in a fight really ever. But you know what so... scares me of you? Your your uh, your coverage of UFC. That's Surely true. to God, you had to pick something up along the way. That's true. Through osmosis. Through osmosis. I think yeah. I figured out how, how UFC fighters, how to possibly gain myself like an extra second right. uh, before they knock me out. Because right. let's be honest. No, I gained absolutely nothing. Um, but I did cover the UFC for a long time and covered some huge fights. Um, you miss it? Yes and no. I don't miss the culture of the sport. I miss the events. Yeah. Um, going showing up at a fight week, there is no better. I mean, if you're a traveling sports reporter, yeah. Like for for hockey, for example, I'll roll into Dallas the night before the game, be there for morning skate. The team's flying out after the game. I'm not. Yeah. I'm there at six in the morning at the airport. UFC, you show up on a Tuesday. Do you you don't leave until the Sunday. So you really get to explore some cities. You got, you know, you get integrated into the culture for for five or six days at a time, which was amazing. And I really, really, really loved. Um, but there was a lot of stuff. I mean, in terms of fighter pay, just Dana White in general um is not is not my type of guy. Yeah. Um, and, and to be honest, some of the politics that are associated with the sport, I found really, really challenging. And uh, it's why, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, but CFL just became a bigger and bigger part of my job. And mm-hmm. then the hockey opportunities came up and no, I, I don't regret leaving it at all. I, I miss my friends. Sure. I miss being there, but no, I, I was not a good fit anymore for the direction the UFC had taken. So did you, were you assigned it or were you lucky enough to get it? Were you a fan before you covered it? Um, I would say that I was a George St. Pierre fan, okay. probably someone who popped in for Anderson Silva fights. Um, you know, the big ones I, I, I would watch um, more as a social thing, right? I mean, not a, not a hardcore. And then the way that the sun back before we, mm-hmm. you know, merged back before we've had a lot of cuts, but I was a desker. So you got bring in, you get brought in and you basically are laying out other people's work on the page. And that's where you start. 
started at the sun uh and about a year in i was you know desperate to do more writing wanted to prove that i could do this reporting thing as well yeah and our editor-in-chief jose rodriguez walked up to me and said hey man you like fights right and i said yeah i like fights <laughs> and he said cool we need a new national ufc writer want to do it and from there it just kind of took off and um you know we we had a nice travel budget at the time so i was probably 10 10 fight weeks a year right. um there was a point where you know a, a particular hotel in vegas was basically my second home um and yeah it became huge and i mean i, I just look back and you know covering conor mcgregor fights i think i covered seven of his fights mm -hmm. i still haven't done an event that felt that big no, nothing nothing nhl nothing football nothing right. it, it was huge you knew that the world was watching you know just the clicks on your stories were so just motivating because you want to do a good job because you knew the world was paying attention to you um and yeah it became i, I fell in love with it and then i fell out in love with it yeah no I, I, it makes sense I, it's it's funny i i've seen it i remember ufc one on a videotape mm -hmm on mm -hmm. a, a junior bus in hockey. And yep. I remember Royce Gracie and, and all the Gracies. And I remember the geese and I remember the yep. watching a guy for 40 minutes, put an arm bar on till he breaks a guy's shoulder and he wins yep. to this kind of tipping point of like, is this going to become mainstream? Is this, you know, or is this human cockfighting? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I remember young Pat Steinberg was big into it. And it was like, dude, you got to keep pushing. There's something to this. And then whatever the tipping point was, it became another pastime. It really surpassed boxing, did it not, in North America? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that with boxing, you I mean, there's just so much money in boxing. So it's hard to necessarily know which one's bigger at this point. I think that UFC on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis is just has more of a footprint right culturally in our in our sports right. landscape yeah um but i do think i mean a big boxing fight a tyson fury fight a canelo alvarez fight those are still probably as big as anything outside of conor mcgregor just, like john jones is fighting this week for the first time in three years yeah fighting Cyril gain yeah um do you know anyone who's talking about it that's arguably the greatest fighter of all time going up to heavyweight and no one really seems but to it, but care is he, is he or was he because i think we're getting a little bit jaded on the is he was he right yep. in terms of another sport with a lot of money that makes it very difficult for you to step away you mentioned george st pierre right mm -hmm. george came back he did right i was there <laughs> um and that that would be my question is are we now so jaded that you know we're, we're beginning to because how many times did chuck liddell fight right like way or, too many times right? right way 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 too many and that times. was kind of the beginning of the sport to get it on the yeah. On them. But now I think we're so cultured that we kind of know the difference, don't we? I think we do. I, I, I do think that when it comes to MMA, I mean, in my time, like George was special. Mm -hmm. he, I still think. And then you have Khabib Nurmagomedov, who did retire yep. on top, never lost a fight. Yep. And then there's John Jones. And um, I, I, I think those are the three great ones. I've been fortunate enough to cover them all fighting championship fights as well as getting attacked while in buses um you know I've, I've covered it all with those guys and so i think john like it's exciting but truthfully i mean i'm not gonna be watching the fight on saturday you're not eh? no um i'm not spending the money what's uh, the next fight you want to see when connor comes back i'm always going to be interested just he but that's the same thing isn't it yeah and and there is that i mean the Flames play Saturday. That's part of why I won't well, yeah, but, <laughs> um, but, but I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, and probably I would if it was on. I'd be interested to watch it in the bar. But there's not that same excitement that there was um, pre-pandemic, and I, I don't know how much of that is just that the sport is alienated. Right. Some people I don't I don't know if it's the there's just a lack of energy in terms of the promotion because they struck a deal with ESPN that basically guarantees them yeah. a certain amount of money. Yeah. Um, but I, I certainly don't 
feel the excitement that that I used to. And that's disappointment. That's disappointing because when I went, I said I wasn't a huge fight fan going in. But, I mean, I came to really respect the athletes. Mm -hmm. And it became, you know, I would talk to my parents who weren't, they're not fight people. They're very nice, quiet, academically inclined people. And, you know, what we would talk about was how just interesting, it, it takes a certain type. A person to want to step into a cage and put themselves in danger, right? And, yeah. and you know, you're risking embarrassment. There's, and, and I think sometimes we we forget it because we just view that. So that's what was interesting to me was okay. Why did you, mm. who who didn't need the money, the money's not good enough for you to really need. What was it about this sport that attracted you? And I and I never really got an answer because they were all different. There wasn't one motivating thing. But what it was not was, oh, I was a tough guy who was fighting on the street. It was never that. It was all a martial arts approach, and I loved that. Right, except for Kimbo Slice. Except for Kimbo Slice, we tried. That. Uh, we tried that. We tried. That. <laughs> yes. Um, what happened? Not what happened. Um, as someone who does concern myself with, you know, kind of equity and, and diversity, it's to me Ronda Rousey at her height was such an important sports figure mm-hmm. for women's sport, and it seemed like okay, she, you know, bright for a couple years got beat but they're never was it home that beat her holly home uh, it was holly home and yeah. then yeah but there never seemed to be the carry on i'm not saying there aren't you know capable female fighters that's not what i'm saying but there has has there been a female attraction like rousey at the top of a card i mean it's funny for me amanda nunez is that okay. Okay. is um I don't know if she has the mainstream crossover uh, appeal. Is that, that what Rosie it was did. for Rousey, you think? Yeah, I mean, Ronda okay. Rousey, I mean, she was charismatic. She yeah. was unlike anything we'd ever seen. I, I think that it was so important for me as someone who, you know, loves covering women's sport. Mm-hmm. It was just cool to see someone so unapologetically break in, break through, and then leave everyone in the dust. And and her femininity was part of what what, what made her a superstar, which was awesome. Right. Um, and I, I will actually give MMA credit for this. I mean, I've said this once before on air and a caller immediately called in to remind me about show jumping and I have covered Spruce Meadows. Mm -hmm. So I will, but other than those two, I mean, there is no other sport where you turn it on and men and women are competing on the same broadcast, right? Right. Obviously not against each other, but that's an amazing thing that doesn't happen in hockey, basketball, football. Well, it's the the only one in mainstream, I would say, in disrespect to the folks at at Spruce Meadows, but mainstream that would be on ESPN, TSN, Exactly over the air network. So that, that's an amazing thing, and I do yeah. think that the that the sport deserves some credit for you know pushing boundaries and right. and you know maybe they had to be talked into it, and maybe it took a star like Ronda Rousey to get them to that point. Mm-hmm. But that's amazing. That's 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 worth celebrating, and I I really do think that's cool. But yeah, I mean, I don't think Amanda Nunez, um, who again, to be perfectly honest, is a gay athlete. Um, so I think that's amazing that Absolutely. she's one of the faces of the sport. Um, is, is a married woman to to her yep. to her partner. Yep. Um. And I mean, I'll say right now, the best, the, the most fun I've ever had at a fight was actually a John Jones and Alexander Gustafson. They were in LA um, and they were supposed to fight in Vegas, but there was sort of a, uh, a drug test issue. Mm-hmm. So they moved it to California. So all the tickets, it was, this wasn't your typical Vegas card. Tickets were like 120 bucks because they wanted to sell out and they only had four days to do it. So you had a real, just normal people. Yep. Um, yeah. And the co-main there was Amanda Nunez versus Chris Cyborg. Mm-hmm. And it lasted about 90 seconds. And I've never felt a crowd at a fight like that. The entire thing was action. And you just, it did not matter that they were women or men. It was, it was and, the fight. And that's, that's cool. And I think that that, when I say I have problems with the culture of the sport, that's something that I think is worth celebrating. Yeah. 
Well, which is really cool is we've gone 10 minutes about a topic that I didn't even write down. Oh, oh it's worth noting. I have no notes here. You just said we're no, going to talk no, about no, it. No, no. <laughs> you, you said we're need, talking about everything. You know, you're talking about everything. <laughs> yeah. um, could I talk to you about basketball? Could yeah. I, could we get into the NBA? Let's do it. Know? Yeah. You actually, something you were saying in your intro, intro about Batman and, and the resting players yeah. really got me thinking because I was talking last night with someone about the load management in the NBA yeah. and how much as a hardcore. I mean, basketball is my favorite sport. It's what I played growing up. The Raptors are my favorite team in professional sports. Always have been. I'm one of those idiots who spent several hundred dollars on a replica championship ring. And I find the NBA borderline unwatchable this year. But different, but they're, they're not the same though. Load management and trade related reasons are not the same. Do, do you not find it a little more uh, palatable, a little more appealing that, you know, we're going to maintain his workload so he's ready to go in the postseason. That seems like a credible, I don't know, discussion or a credible conversation to have. I know it's spun a little out of control from that, though. Yeah, and I mean, I look, obviously credible. No, yeah. no, no question here. And I'm not one of those people who's going to say, oh, they fly private, all of that. Basketball on your joints and your knees in particular is incredibly difficult right. on the body. Right. Um, so I, I understand that. My issue is as a consumer, yeah. as a sports fan, um, if I, I don't know, if I live in Chicago and my kid's favorite player is Kawhi Leonard, yep. and I'm going to unload two hundred fifty dollars on a ticket to bring my kids there, and there's no guarantee that that Kawhi is going to play, I think that's a problem, and I think that it's it's he's the epicenter of this conversation. Isn't I mean, he? he's the Clippers are the ones that basically started it. Um, although he he sat a lot when he was with the Raptors for that year too, um, but it's happening too much. And look, the NBA makes enough money that I think that they need to consider going to 65 or 70 games. And, you know, having... well, I think, yeah, and I think the NHL could do that. I think Major League yeah. Baseball could cut down. You know, that to me, you hit the nail on the head. What worries me is that you almost become, you know, if you're a struggling team or your team's having a bad year, you might become that place that, ah, we were, we're not going to play in Calgary, right? Yeah. Okay, well, and you won't see those guys, right? Totally. And, and stars drive sports. Right. I mean, oh, especially, especially in the NBA. Absolutely. So I, I think that's a real issue. And to be honest, I don't think it's happening in hockey. Like I, the load management thing just is no, not it's not. It's this trade. It's the I think it's the Jacob Chikrin thing. Right. I yeah. think we're all he's a good defenseman. He needs to play. He should play. This is a little silly. Like if you're close to a deal, you know. But we're just going to sit a guy for an extended period because they might get traded and we want to protect the asset. Yeah, that that stinks. Um, but it's not as, it's just, it's not as bad as what's happening in the NBA. No, um, no, it's just not. And I honestly, I mean, we always remember we have these sort of bigger picture discussions. I do think that inevitably someone will bring up, we'll look at the English premier league model and you start looking at the soccer Mm -hmm. and you say, Oh, well, relegation is part of the Mm -hmm. solution. It's not, not in North America. There's too much money, um, involved, but a shorter season. Look, the NFL makes more money per game than anyone because it's a shorter season and every single game matters. You know, it's an event. Every they, single game is an event. Exactly. And yeah. that is ultimately and, and the Premier League has 38 games. Mm-hmm. They also have cup competitions on the side, mm-hmm. which are which are, are cared about in in a very real way, but something has to be done. And I'm not necessarily saying with hockey. I think that it would benefit hockey, but I don't think it's going to happen. Hockey's still so reliant on every penny right now. Whereas the NBA you know, we're talking, they're saying that maximum salary is maybe $80 million. I, know, I, I mean, there is money. You can switch things around and have a new vision that would work and that wouldn't bankrupt anybody. Yeah. 
you'd still be making loads more money than just about anyone in professional sports outside of the NFL. That, that's the hard part about talking about North American sports in particular, but I'm sure, you know, major sports around the world is it, it's hard to, and I, I think I said this to you before, I'm all for capitalism. I get it. I understand it. But man, money ruins everything. Sure does. Right? Like mm-hmm. the minute you, is are, are sports more fun today because we're cap conscious and we're salary cap conscious? I, I think it takes away from, you know, the, the fundamental growth of sport is heroes. But now we've said, well, you know, he gets $8 million or to your point, like, well, LeBron makes $80 million. Nobody should make doctors. And it, it just, the money part of it gets out of control so much. And, and the NBA is about to go through this with the television deals that are coming. A hundred percent. And what needs to be, it's why I think that it's such a a pressing conversation when it comes to that league is shortening the season Yeah, because now is the time to do it. You have these TV deals there. Sports are the last thing that reliably bring in an audience on traditional television over, over there. Right. So, um, there, the money is going to be astronomical. And I do want to be clear. I have no problem with players making $80 million. If it's going to go into the, uh, into the pockets of the players or the owners, Sure. I'm saying give it to the players, sure. you know. Sure. Um, but the question is, but if the, you were looking at it from yeah. a consumer as a fan, right. you don't want that situation where people are spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in some markets to go to a game and they're not getting to see the players they want to see. The NBA is not going to go to, to, to Silver, Nate Silver, and go, you know what? Maybe we should have load management pricing. So if LeBron comes to your your city and he doesn't play, we should lower the ticket price. No, not going to happen. Not going to happen. You're going to pay the same price. Well, right? I mean, and the reality is or you are for the, the right. no, you're probably paying more. I mean, if right. you look that's at most true. of these ticket packages, that's true. The, the big, the golden state warriors are as a road team are going to just attract a higher dollar mm-hmm. point than any other team in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, no, Golden State doesn't really do the load management thing as much, so they're not that. Per- I don't want to use them as the example, but that's the reality. For the stars, you are paying more, and you're not getting a guarantee that they played. How does that? Well, to me, Golden State's a good example because, it, to me, it should be mandated that if Golden State sits Curry, then Steve Kerr's got to do a press conference for the entire crowd and then let him talk <laughs> for 10, 15 minutes. It's worth it's worth it right there. You'll get your money back in that conversation, yeah. right? I mean, I'm down with, like, let's get Daryl Sutter out doing 15-minute press conferences for the entire Saturday home crowd. Yeah. That would be... Yeah, I'm not... I'm, there's some who would enjoy it. I know one guy who wouldn't enjoy it. Uh, Daryl would not like that at all. Okay, so UFC, NBA, and still not a single topic I wrote down. I'm going to trick you up. Trip you up. <laughs> Can we talk about yesterday's announcement of the CP Open coming to Earl Grey in 2024? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it's amazing. I I honestly... I. I'm, for a city that doesn't get a lot right now, for that's struggling to get big events and struggling, this is huge. For right? sure. I mean, I was in Regina a couple of years ago when the same event was there, and it was amazing, yeah. the energy of the city. I'm not a huge golf guy, if yeah. I'm being perfectly honest with you. Yeah. But, um, you know, Calgary is – when I moved here in 2000, I guess technically I moved to Calgary in 2011, but Alberta in 2010. Yeah. The, the reason why I was – open and excited about it was this reputation for hosting international sporting events. Yeah. Um, I grew up in downtown Toronto. We had all the North American other than NFL, you know, big four. Like I'd done that. Oh, you had a little bit of NFL. We had, well, (laughs) I couldn't afford tickets as a 21 year old. I'll tell you that. Um, We also, we had the bills when the bills were bad. It was um, exactly not this bills. No, No. they're not giving us Josh Allen. No, Um, no, but, um, 
but I, you know, I hadn't really had that opportunity to go see Olympic Olympic sport. Um, and it's been one of the things that I love about living here. So, um, I don't know for them to be bringing it again, it puts the spotlight on Calgary. Yep. Um, I am one of those people I've spoken openly. One of my frustrations with McMahon stadium right now yep. is that despite all the issues we're seeing soccer blow up, it would be very cool to have one or two international games a year for the men's team. And hopefully the same for the women's team. Yep broadcast it, it, it just shows such an amazing side of the city that is here and that exists and that can thrive so unequivocally a win for calgary getting right. that event and um you know i'd i'd love to see at some point i don't know if we have a course that's actually pga you know is doable but i i would love to see you know our, our canadian open on the men's side come to alberta at some point what about a live tour event <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying so desperately to trip you up, but you hit everything. Um, yeah, if a live tour came, I can tell you that I wouldn't be the one covering it. Um, <laughs> no. You know, we—I guess we all have a price. Uh, if they want to, no, I wouldn't do it. There's no, no world. No, yeah, no, you saw that. The, do you see the ratings this weekend? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, but people don't go to the CW for. Uh, sports, <laughs> That's right? true. Like, I'm just actively but rooting. Number, but less than yeah. less than three hundred thousand people watching this. Right? Exactly, but they don't care. Of course they, they don't, don't care. care. Of course they don't care. It's the same thing with the XFL. No. I'm I'm biting my tongue on Twitter to not say I told you so to all to the mm-hmm. media members who were advocating that the CFL and XFL should merge, but I'm sorry. Their tradition is what makes you care. Shouldn't have merged, but shouldn't they have had more of a robust conversation? That that I always felt that the C when that came up, it was like, okay, cool. The the rock, yeah, you should have time to listen to the rock. Mm-hmm. But I felt like and you were in the middle of it, so you can correct me on this. But standing on the outside, it looked to me like it just got shouted down from all sides. I don't think it got shouted down from Bell. I think Bell, which is one of the principal owners of, yeah. of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, which is without question the most powerful sporting organization in this country. Yep. And I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't say without question. In my opinion, yeah. is the most powerful. I mean, they were they were on board. And for now, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but so I, I, I do think that the, and, and MLSC is obviously a very powerful partner with the CFL and as is Bell. Are they a partner? At this point, I think you have to wonder, but I mean, they're, lo- they're willing to lose a lot of money. Yeah. Um, as someone again, who was born and raised in Toronto, I care about the Argonauts and, mm-hmm. and would love to see them succeed and would love to see them mm-hmm. get serious investment. Um, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that the XFL thing, I think there was a push, yeah. um, depending on who you yeah. talk to, I will say that part of that push, I believe came from Calgary as mm-hmm. well. Um, but I think that ultimately for those who don't know, I mean, the CFL, the structure is that there are three community yeah. owned teams and those teams were my impression was absolutely not on board. And let's be perfectly honest with you. The XFL, you know, if I was running the XFL, I, the, the markets I would have been interested in are Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal. They're the big TV markets, all of that. And those are the weakest CFL markets. Yep. Um, although Edmonton, over the last couple of years, is right there with them. Which is um, unbelievable to me. Unbelievable to me as well. But I've been in the stadium. I'm sorry. No, no, there's, no. You no, know, no, like no, there's, no. I'm yeah. calling into question <laughs> yeah. facts. Um, there's real trouble there. But that's what's interesting about it is I don't know. I don't think that the XFL would have, oh, it's the XFL, it's American football. I don't think it would have made a lick of difference in those markets. But, but isn't that under the assumption, Danny, that they were going to come in and dictate the terms? If it was a true 
partnership, if it was a true mm -hmm. back and forth, could there not have been more of a, a, a CFL influence into what the product has become now? And I got to be honest with you, I haven't watched a lick of it yet. And I, I, I was there when it launched the first two times. This time, it's just like, yeah. Yeah, and this time, I mean, the truth is, look, I have no idea if The Rock is qualified to run a sports league, but he's been successful at a lot of different things. I'd argue he doesn't make very many good movies, despite the perception. That uh, volume, volume, volume. Volume, volume, volume. <laughs> um, good job quitting the Fast and Furious franchise there, buddy. Um, that was really smart. Uh, um you know, so I, I think they clearly have smart people. And to be honest, I actually know because I know people who are in sort of the data, the sports data business who say that the XFL's people, they brought in very smart, yep. qualified people to run that league. So, um, I, I mean, as a CFL fan, I'm not rooting against it, but it's not going to I'm not going to be promoting it by mm -hmm. any means. I'll tell you that much. And look, I hear you. The, the CFL has real problems. I mean, I, I, I it sounds as if they've got an ownership group that's sort of coming in in Montreal, but. There was a moment within the last couple of weeks where I thought Montreal might not be able to actually field a team in 2023. Yeah. Um, like anyone who downplays the serious financial challenges that are facing the CFL is is crazy. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not worth fighting for or not building or important or probably my favorite sport to cover. Yep. Um, but yeah, in that sense, I guess that they should have been investigating every option. But I, I still believe that and I fundamentally, and it's why I argued very vocally against any sort of merger, mm -hmm. I would have needed to know that the XFL was sincere in taking leadership from the CFL. Because mm -hmm. the CFL, if there's one thing that it's done, it's put football on the field every year with the exception of the pandemic, mm -hmm. um, year after year after year. And the XFL hasn't proven that it can do that. No. So they wouldn't be, you can't let them call all the shots. Yeah. No matter if people think the CFL is a joke or not, it does one thing and that's survive. The yeah. XFL hasn't proven it can survive. Um, if I made you commissioner for a day, is there something that's, that's not being done right now? Is there, is there something that nobody's paying attention to that could improve the fortunes of the clubs right away? Um, there's a lot of things. There, is, eh? there are a lot of things. Um, I, I just don't think that the league, I think that the league needs more content and I think the league needs more, um, people producing that content and i think the league ultimately so you'd like to see two broadcasters yes right yeah oh, oh without question i would like to see two broadcasters i'd like to see competition and um i'll say i i don't really this is going to get me in trouble but i don't really care um i, I certainly don't care no um i i think the tsn's commitment to covering the league on a day-to-day -day basis has has really declined over the past couple of years uh and this is not a knock on the individual reporters, many of whom I know would love to be at practice more often. But I honestly think that when it comes to that, they show up the day before the game and they get their interviews for the broadcast. But how often do you see the CFL on SportsCenter, really? You don't see it as much as you used it's to. It's the chicken and the egg, though, isn't it, Danny? Because I'm sure there's people at Bell, because I know there's people at Rogers that would tell you, ah, the data doesn't support the, the coverage, right? Mm -hmm. We don't get the views. We don't get the impressions. We don't get the da-da-da-da-da. But it's a chicken and egg thing, too, because I truly believe that Ryan uh, or that uh, Bedard sold out the Dome a couple weeks ago because of the World Junior Tournament. He was you here bet. in the fall and there was 3,000 people. He was here last year. There was 3,000 people. But it meant something when he was on that tournament, which TSN built, curated. has. That's the, it's the greatest example of a broadcast science experiment that went right. Mm -hmm. And. Absolutely. And I, I do think that, I mean, the coverage, to be honest, I also think that the CFL head office needs to invest more um, I, in 
in getting its product out there. And I think that there needs to just be more video, more written word. Well, and I'll say it to you so you don't have to. It'd be kind of cool if you hung around for both teams' press conferences at the Great Cup. I do agree. (laughs) Um, But I'll say, I mean, let's talk about sports media in Calgary right now. Let's talk Um, about it. It has been for the past couple, for for the past two years, it has been myself, uh, Mark Steven from 770, and and Matt Rose, who are the only three media people there. Um, That was not true three to four years ago. Now, you have tons of good people, you know, Glenn at CTV, Cami at, at Global, who, who show up as often as they can, and they they they. But it's do not more. their mandate. It's not their mandate, and nor and I'm not. I'm actually not criticizing that. But people need to realize. I mean, when I say more content, I'm not. I'm I'm actually not referring specifically to the broadcast partner or the head no, office no, or anything. No, no. I'm saying that like right now we have way less media in Calgary, mm-hmm. um, which has been a challenging market historically for yep. the CFL. It, it had a really good 20 year run through Wally Bruno, uh, obviously the Flutie years, right? Really through to about 2014. Um, but this, this market is, is not what it was even when I started covering the team in 2016. And a big part of that is just like, I'm sorry, if you don't follow one of me, Mark or Maddie, you're not getting any no. real information. No. Um, and I don't know how you resolve that because you're not fixing what's going on in Canadian sports media particularly easily no you're not i i think there's opportunities in canadian sports media well it's I, what I, you guys are doing here right. I, I see it and i think it's amazing right yeah, yeah. And, and but i mean it's going to take a while for it to grow roots and and to flourish to what it needs to be behind mm-hmm. you is a uh, bo levi mitchell jersey which leads me to the question is part of this that the players themselves and i don't again chicken the egg i don't know but i'm not sure that right now i can name five stampeders I mean, I certainly can. You, oh, of course uh, you can. But well, but Bully by Mitchell's kind of the last of the big name carry some weight yeah. in the community, don't you think? Or am I wrong about no, that? No, I think I think you're probably right. Uh, I mean, I think that Bo was certainly the guy who, you know, it's NHL playoffs. Who are you putting on 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 the big screen at the Saddledome? Because yeah. he's out there. It's it's Bo, and he's the one That's who right. everyone's going to know, and everyone's. I will say, I mean, Alex Singleton, who hasn't been here for a couple of years, still also held that connection. Uh, I thought a guy like Jameer Thurman was really mm-hmm. making making waves there, um, and was just such a leader. So I'm really disappointed to see him sign with Hamilton. Um, and there are certainly beloved players within the the fan community of that team because there's an. I mean, it's it's been, and this is going to sound corny. I don't mean it to, but like the greatest joy of covering the Stampeders for me was like, was the Twitter, the fan community there was so positive, yeah. so yeah. encouraging. I was not very good at the start and yeah. they were patient and helped me out. Yeah. And then eventually I, you know, I've gone to weddings with these people, with these Stampeders fans who I, who I met on Twitter. And, it's, and that's got, why it matters. Exactly. And that's why it's important. And that's why it's worth fighting for. Completely. Right. There is a community there that's real and that's fun and yeah. it needs to get younger. It needs to get more diverse. Um, but I will say, I mean, when I started in 2016, and I think it was there 2017, I would, I didn't have a car at the time, so I often, when I couldn't bike, would would take the C train and I'd get off at Banff Trail Station, and they had these big cutouts of the players, you know, whether it was Jerome Messam, whether it was whatever, you know, with their numbers, their names, kids could take pictures, like it was a whole fun. That's not there anymore. So I don't know whose fault it is that the people like you probably couldn't name five, but I, I think I, I, by the way, I will by May. I promise you, totally. I'll most of them by now. totally. But like, it's, but that's real. I I don't see the same level of visibility for the St. Peters that I used to. The pandemic made that incredibly hard. There are budget issues. I I, I get that, but like, I, I partially laid at the feet of kind of the. 
I think they thought it was the maturation of the professionalism of the league. They increased it and they went away from a little bit like mom and pop to, you know, we got to run it like the flames and there's availabilities and there's rights holders and there's all of these sort of things, but you rob the people of getting to know these guys, their strength was always getting to know. They're Nick the best Lewis guys. And Jermaine Copeland and on and on it goes, right? Yeah. Like they are the best and they've got stories. They got great, and they're happy to be here in most cases. I am not kidding you. Yeah. Covered the team since 2016. Yeah. I'm not going to name him. There is one player who I didn't like mm-hmm. in my years. Covering Randy Shevry? Is it Randy Shevry? What a jerk Randy Shevry <laughs> yeah, exactly. is. Um, no, I mean, I'm not going to name him because I would be unprofessional. No, but, like, but I, I, I genuinely, and, yeah. like, they're a guy, a guy like Malik Henry, their top receiver uh, last year. Not great with the media. Mm-hmm. Came up and apologized to me. He was just like, just, I'm just not comfortable doing it. Yeah. He said, I, I promise you, I'm a nice guy. And I was like, cool. Like, that's all That's all I need. It's yeah. okay if you're a little bit yeah. shy or nervous. You know, like, that's the type of thing that you get um, with, with the Stampeders. And I, I do think you're saying it right. I can't disagree. It is about – I think that if people got to know the players, they would fall back in love with the Well, I, I think the guy that could be – what Wally Warner was in this town, I think Craig could be in this town. Or uh, sorry, Dave could be in this. Craig I think had Dave a chance is. he left. Uh, Dave, Dave is charismatic. Dave is personable. Dave is a nice guy. He's a leader. He just doesn't have the same platform that Wally had because there isn't three news cat or sports casts that you know. There isn't yep. eleven o'clock sports cast. There isn't nine stations with radio, you know, sports casts and stuff like that. Wally was out there. Dave can be that guy. Oh, I'll tell you a Dave Dickinson story. Last year. I, I was covering hockey playoffs. Obviously, the Flames made the second round. Mm-hmm. That meant that I wasn't there for training camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but Flames were on the road. I wasn't traveling to Edmonton, so decided I wanted to just pop by a practice. Dave Dickinson, during training camp practice, walked off the, f- the field, shook my hand, asked how I was doing, and then came and introduced me to every new person. Not player, but staff, staff member yeah. every, at the stadium. Every single one of them yeah. and just wanted, them, wanted me to like know who they were, make sure that they knew who I was. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's smart, but it's beyond that. It's just good person stuff. Like that's, that's what I, what I love about Dave Dickinson. And I've said it, I think he should be commissioner at some point. I mm-hmm. honestly, I, I think he's the key to all of it because he understands, he gets it. He gets that. Yes. He's a football coach, but he's also on some level, the face of the franchise. He understands that it's connecting with young players. Yeah. Um, Dave Dickinson is, is a huge asset for CSEC and for the Stampeders and, whether it's them or whoever, they got to figure out how to how to. They got to unleash him. Yeah. Unleash him on this city. Yeah. Let he him may, go wild. He may hate us for saying this. If he ever hears this, oh, he, he might be no, like, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. "That's what he really wants to do." Yeah. I'd really like to spend more time out with Cracker Jacks like Rob. Um, no, I know what you're saying. But okay, it's, so we touched one thing that I wrote down, okay. and we didn't even get to all of that one thing. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the local hockey heroes. Two days away from the trade deadline, you've been around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Last night, I don't, you know, I, I retweeted you. I, I don't even know what to say anymore. That was a world-class performance against a juggernaut team that may set an NHL record that if you had watched the, if you, if somebody said, this is the first hockey game you're going to watch, watch it. Tell me who's going to set the record for wins this year. They would have got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so on brand this year for the way they lost it's amazing. If that game was in November, every single one of us would be feeling very confident that the Flames are going to get it together and go on a run. Or last year. Yeah. Right? That looked like last year's. 100%. Yeah. Um, I thought they were great. Yeah. I, like, look, Dan Ladar, 
you, you got to not allow those two goals. Zadorov, you can't be like nope. that. That hit was dumb. Um, but he was trying. Like I know that's it's, a- it's effort, right? Completely. Like, it, it's it's not because of lack of caring. He's the guy that took the responsibility for the loss on Saturday. Totally. I, yeah. I I'm not trying no, to no, pass no, no. Zadorov, but like it, it was a bad play in my opinion. But, but- it would almost be easier if he was dumb or stupid yeah. <laughs> or he was just being an idiot or something. Like but, he wasn't. No. But I was trying to think back this morning as I lay in bed, being like, "How do I?" Because I can occasionally be soft on the teams that I cover. Yeah. But, so I was like, am I giving them too much credit here? And I think that the 2017 Grey Cup where the Stampeders lost to the Argos. Mm-hmm. and Same thing. Well, those are the two games that I've ever covered. They were one and two on my list of like, I don't know how the team that I cover lost. lost. Um, yeah. I don't. The Flames were so much better. The, the fact that Boston's coach is being like, yeah, I feel pretty bad for the Flames after that one. <laughs> That's crazy. I just, and I, there's so much anger around this team right now. Yep. And I get it. And especially with the trade deadline, there's all this pressure and all that. That's just not a game I can get angry about. That's just a game where I I don't know, man. The hockey gods just weren't smiling on them. And that's not making excuse. I will say, if Dan Vladar is not giving you demonstrably better goaltending than Jacob Markstrom, I think you have to run ride Markstrom for the rest of the year. You mm-hmm. got to put him in there. I'm sorry. He's the guy you're paying. He's the guy with the higher upside. Um, if he doesn't find it, he doesn't find it. But I don't think that there's any real difference between the two. Do you manufacture a way to bring Wolf up? I understand why people are saying it. Um, you're you're paying these guys. And I'm a believer that, I mean, if they make a move to try to get into the eighth seed over the next couple of days, I don't like that. I, See, I think they might. I, I'm, I'm in that camp that I'm not to say I told you so or anything like that. I just don't want to. Like I've I've seen it, you know. I get the same Twitter stuff. You know, they they need to they, not blow it up, but you know, this isn't their year. And I think that's true. Mm-hmm. I think. This is not a blow-up situation. This is keep your powder dry, finish off, do There's what you not, can, start over again next year. Other teams don't have the cap space to take on the contracts for the Flames to blow it up. It's not actually no, po- yeah, But it's easy when you don't have yeah. to make those totally. financial decisions, right? Yes. Yeah, blow it up. Um, I, I and It was actually on the barn burner this morning, and Ryan started trotting out these numbers of where they were last year's a, pa- a pairing and where they are this year. Mm-hmm. that's the part I can't reconcile in my head. I don't know how you fall off the cliff. Now, I think there's a lot of people that want to point to the Oilers series and say, well, that damaged Markstrom. Okay. And we're only three weeks away from Dan Vladar having the uh, the Flames record for yep. consecutive games with points. It's, But here we are. But here we are. And that's it. It just hasn't come together. And, I mean, I – Again, I started covering this team this year in mid-November because yep. I was on I was on stamps, stamps, and you know yeah. where we don't have the staff to have um, to ultimately have me at both. Um, but I came in, and I it just always felt like the turnaround was a week away or a game away. Yep, it always felt like it was around the corner because there is too much talent. Um, and ultimately, I do think you look back at it and. Look, if the goaltending was better, this team would be in the playoffs right now. Yeah, that's not the only problem. You also should be getting more. <laughs> more than three goals on I think the offense shots. is getting a little bit of a break here. I, I mm-hmm. think the offense – sorry, you're generating 57 shots and the requisite scoring chances to go with that. Something's got to go in. There's a lot of bodies getting hit in front, and there's a lot yep. of goalies with bruises on their on their bellies. Because I mean, they're hitting Lucha them hit the post yesterday. It was what? It was a couple weeks ago. Who did they lose to in overtime here? I don't Philly. Know. Philly. Coleman hit the post. Yeah. Like, there, there's just been a lot of uh, – an inch the other way, and and that's that sports. You, you can't make the excuses, but 
I mean, the question as to how it relates to the trade deadline, you know, I, I heard it was Elliot Friedman talking about how, look, you have to look at how many contracts expire after next season, mm-hmm. and those have a lot of value. Oh, we got an emergency alert here. Okay. Should probably check that. Oh, it's a that test. Would, it's a would, test. It's a test. Is that our phones? It's a test. Yeah. Okay. We don't, don't anybody move. Just stay where you are. <laughs> Continue to listen to this podcast. We'll get you through it. I mean, I assume if that was a real Amber Alert, we would have taken 10 seconds to read it, but it was just a test. So it's just a test. It's just a test. Um, we're, we're still good citizens. But yeah, I just, I, I also see that argument that ultimately, like, if you don't think Lindholm is going to sign after next year, I'm sure at this point, management wants to know that. And that's something you could get a lot of assets for. So if you lose to the Leafs tomorrow night and you wake up Friday morning, I think that they're as Do like. Do you think that's possible? I, I don't think it's impossible. I, I, see, to me, it was they'll try to get something. They'll go big game hunting, but the big game's gone. Mm-hmm. All the big game is gone, unless you want Jacob Chikrin. Now they'll just do the Forbort's and the Gustafson tra- trades. Then they're not going to do anything, and then they're going to trade Matt Phillips. I had never gone into because I think the guys in the barn burner, weren't they talking about Mangiapane this morning? Uh, sorry, Toffoli. To- oh, no. Internet, stand down. Stand down, Internet. Stand down. Well, and I do think that a lot of that came from that Elliot Friedman. The emergency alert is the emergency just going alert on. Came it, from it, Elliot Friedman? <laughs> um, um, and I do think that, that a lot of that got people thinking because that's what he was saying. Yeah. And the question, I, do I think they're going to do it? No. I, I don't think that they're about to blow this up. I, I don't think that that's what Daryl Sutter wants. And to be perfectly honest with you, you send a lot of guys to long-term contracts who you're not going to be unloading. And realistically, Nazem Kadri wasn't signing here if – he was told that they were going to be doing a rebuild. So you owe it to those players to continue going for it. Um, I think it's a fascinating timeline for, um, for Brad for living because he had it blow up in his face, mm-hmm. rightfully, wrongfully. I, I, I'm one of these guys that you can tell me all about uh, hospitals and Columbus and all of that. Sorry, you don't leave $15 million in a year on the table. If you're happy somewhere. You know, no. Goudreau left because he wasn't happy here. Kachuk left because he wasn't happy here. The building, the 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 constant humming in the middle and, and being safe and never being the best and all of that. I think it wears on. I think they love the city. I think they love the people. I think the staff's great and all of that stuff. But I, I think right now, maybe the building's most of it. The Maybe the facilities are most of it. But you're going to have a hard time keeping and attracting people until it's a new building. And we're going to get the new building. I mean, I think. Do you think so? Yeah. Oh, I I don't know if they're going to announce it tomorrow, um, but I think it's on its way. Uh, the money's. Like- Eight part audio documentary <laughs> in 2011 about the new building coming. Eight part. Wow. Last segment was Ken King talking about in the next couple of years, the shovels will go in the ground. Mm-hmm. I, I want to believe. But having said that. Oh, by the way, today's the first day they started discussing about the field house now, too. That's time. right. Oh, I'm 53 years old. That's only been the biggest civic priority in this city for 54 years, right? <laughs> and we glossed over it. But who's talking about the building where you go almost all summer? Oh, right? no, McMahon is brutal. Well, oh, I mean, if we want to go down that path, I mean, the Olympic Oval is not is not modern. My I understanding mean, is it's now 35 years past its due date. Yep. Does that sound <laughs> about right? And they've done an... Um, you have the numbers, but I Matt, believe you. Yeah. Mark Messer over there has done and his staff have done an amazing job of keeping that thing relevant Mm -hmm. the other thing i didn't know that was the first time in winter olympic history that the uh speed skating was indoors i didn't realize that and then the next winter olympics they were back outdoors 
So I mean, we have one truly world class sports facility here, and that's Bruce Meadows. But uh, everything at Windsport, I mean, we don't have a bobsleigh track anymore. Like the sports facilities, the the, the elite sports facilities in this city are not what they need to be. I mean, so why is that? And and this is Rob trying to win a fight, and you didn't start it. But I I contend, and I it's been taken by some people. They bought into it, and there's others who haven't. We need a freaking hero. This city needs somebody to stand up. And I had Dr. David Lagon from MRU, and he listed off some incredible people. You and I have talked. There are some incredible people in this Absolutely. city. Lots of leaders and stuff like that. But there's no Frank King. There's no, and I'm trying to think of some other names through history. But we're such a tribal society now. There's nobody that can stand up and unite pro and con, whatever we want to call it. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, yeah. Fantastic. We got the CP and we got the shot charity. We got, we got, we're nibbling around the sides and then you're comfortable. We're going to get an arena. I think we're going to get an arena, but tell me about the field house. And Edmonton's got what? Three field houses. I mean, doesn't Moose Jaw have one? Yep. Yeah. No, no. Kamloops <laughs> does. Regina, Saskatoon. Yeah, right? We've got out at Trolldice. There's the new, there's yeah, the dome yeah. field. And there's and... some people trying that. This yeah. is not dumping on the city, but at some point, somebody has got to stand up and say enough is enough. Either we're world-class or we're not world-class. And if we're going to be world class, we got to have the facilities. They're building pieces and stuff like that, but link them all together here, people. Yeah. Right? Link them all together here. I mean, we know our emergency Our emergency alert system is um, best in class. Yeah. Um, she, she, you are amazing. I So next time you come on, I'm going to try to trip you up with Australian rules football. Uh, maybe I'm, no, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to blindside you before we go. And I mentioned it, uh, a, a peer of yours. Uh, I thought it's must read today. Uh, Derek Van Dies column on, you know, the, the, the Canada soccer problems go deeper than Nick, Dr. Nick Bontis. Do you want to just touch on that? Because that to me is maybe the biggest non mainstream story in sport in our country right now, because of how far we have come and how quickly we could fall. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to be careful, but I mean, the truth is it's, it's a hard issue to sort of understand. It's there, complicated. There, it was a complicated yeah. issue. And obviously there was this agreement basically to create the Canadian premier league. Um, that has severely hampered I, the amount of money that soccer Canada has. They did not anticipate what happened with the men's team. Yeah. Um, and, and the revenues I was going to bring in, and then they're not getting all those revenues back and they're not able to invest it. Um, you can very comfortably make the argument that how could they have seen that but too bad you made a mis- you made a mistake um if they didn't, is... listen there would have been con- if people saw it coming there would have been competition Completely. bell rogers whoever would have been there in on that too exactly right um but ultimately what it comes down to is right now our women's team is preparing for the world cup and they don't have they they don't have the resources that they need we are one of the richest countries in the world yep we should our, our team should not be our women's team should a have the same resources that the men's team does. Yeah. Um. They've won an Olympic gold medal. They've done. There are Christine Sinclair is a national icon. It does not make sense that 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 are in their in that position, and it doesn't make sense that there was a deal made where there's not more money. It doesn't. Um. And it's embarrassing. And yeah. We. There should be multiple international friendlies. In Canada, it's the spring in Canada in the build-up to this World Cup yep. with, our, with our women who are, you know, if you're a soccer fan, our household names. Maybe they're not household names everywhere, but certainly if you're a soccer fan, they mm-hmm. are. Um, 
And it's the fact that it's not happening. When we qualified for the World Cup, you can go back and look. My, I actually tweeted long before any of this stuff broke that this was the players qualified, not Soccer Canada. And I continue to sort of um, believe that. But there is money. And where is that money? It's yeah. a question that needs to, be, needs to be asked. I do want... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I want to ask you one question before we we go. Please. I give you three statues, sports statues. Yeah. You can build them wherever you want in the city. That's not the question. Yeah. But you get three Calgarians athletes sports figures who do you build i build um oh, people question. always say jerome again i'm sorry you didn't win a championship so you're not getting a statue in my book it's an intri- that's okay that's an interesting answer so let me start it off this way i would build a statue to frank king okay because i think frank king and and we may be putting this on him but frank king represents what we want our Calgary to be. Frank King represents the can-do volunteerism, get her done. Like, trust me, 88 is not a a family story. There were some things happened there to get her done, right? That, you know, we're just going to not talk about, but we got her done. Mm -hmm. So Frank would be, um, I think, right there. Um, I would build one. You can say again, I was mostly no, trying no, no, to... No, 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 But I'm just trying to think of... Um, I, because I, I'm afraid that I'm going to apply it to the wrong person. Cassie Campbell-Pasco. Love that. Because Cassie broke down barriers in broadcasting. Cassie um, did so much in our community at, for Ronald McDonald House, for other charities. Uh, Cassie didn't take it real well when they said you can't because you're a woman and that's not what women do and i think you know katrina lemay don i i cheryl bernard i think this city has just a, a plethora of really good female sports leaders and because she's in my orbit i'm going to give cassie 
that pick, but mm-hmm. I think we have to rec- recognize that. I love that. And then Eddie Whalen. And okay. it's hard because I want to say Peter Marr uh, because of what Pete brought, but Eddie Whalen did as much to let the world know about Calgary as anybody. And Eddie Whalen cared about minor sports and Eddie Whalen. Yes. Stampede wrestling. Absolutely. And I have a bent that way. I was going to ask about Bret Hart. I went older though. Yeah, I know. Right. That's so my totally assumption fair. is this There's is no right or wrong. We're answers. building a leadership park, okay. a park about leaders. And those are my first three statues. Now, when you come back next time, likely Friday, um, <laughs> I will add to my park. What about you? You answer that question. I would, I would have Bret Hart to be perfectly honest I with yeah, you. No. Um, I, he's just, a, I mean, that's also, I'm 38. I was a kid in Bret Hart's prime. Yeah. I wasn't really allowed to watch wrestling, but the TV you was in the basement. It? So yeah. I just would sneak it on and, and, and watch wrestling. Yeah. Um, and I just, to be honest, I think that all of us, you know, even if you're not a hardcore wrestling fan, if you were at the time, you're probably a little protective of Bret Hart. Um, Dude was the most uh, popular male athlete in Germany in 1994. Same yeah. thing in India. Who else in this city it's did amazing, that? Right? Right? That's the thing. It's amazing. Um, I love... I, I don't know that I have better answers than yours. Um, and I don't know, like, with the Flames, like, it sort of has to be Lanny. If you were to pick a flame, I, I think it had again Lanny because of what Lanny means to the community and because mm-hmm. what he he gave us that look. Yep. Everybody knew where that mustache came from. Everybody mm-hmm. knew where 99 was. Everybody knew where the mustache was. Yep. And the fact that you know the Special Olympics are announcing the uh, Canadian Winter Games are coming to Calgary today. Uh not today, but they're coming next year. Today they're announcing <laughs> that. But it's the Flames alumni and Lanny at the lead of that when he was a player that went into the community and, and helped forge and still has those connections today. Exactly. I think it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant pick. And then I, you know, I've got to do a St. Peter's one because of yes. who I am. And I mean, that's, that's where it gets interesting. So you I mean, screwed me on the number. Okay. Because <laughs> if you'd gone to five, Wally, I would have put Wally in yep. there because of everything, but particularly the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, then I put Peter Marr back in there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. I'm not necessarily picking my three. I'm just going through yeah, yeah. who. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, that's the thing. For me, it's like one of the coolest things about covering the St. Peter's was, you know, when Sugarfoot Anderson died, Nick Lewis wanted to talk about how cool Sugarfoot was and stuff like that. So 100%. I know that history. So guys like Sugarfoot and Wayne Harris, and I don't think Flutie was here for long enough, but as someone growing up in Toronto, Flutie is who I associated with the St. Peter's. Um, and then to be honest, like, there's only one quarterback who won two great cups. Yep. And I, I don't think Bo is that bad. Nope. Is that bad an option? So um, I, I think he becomes that. I think it's too early, but yeah. he becomes that. People will appreciate it 100%. eventually. So, yeah. You were so much fun. Will you do this again? Literally anytime. Okay. Literally. Uh, Danny, they can follow you on Twitter at Danny Austin 9. Uh, you're still on the Flames beat. Stamp stuff coming. Uh, thank you so much. It was honest to God. I, I mean, I wrote all these notes and I don't, and I'm pretty sure the same thing's going to happen with our next guest, but whenever I can do that, I feel great. This was awesome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me guys. Cheers. There you go. Danny Austin from post media. That was so much fun. Um, we are live by the way, in the oodle noodle studio, local love, delicious since opening their first store back in 2005, oodle noodle has been all flavor and just the right amount of weird. I love that. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 
105 Main Street North in Airdrie, pickup and delivery. And the best part about this new gig is we don't have to wait. We get to go from one great guest to another great guest. Um, we crossed paths a number of times uh, in different arenas, watched him as a junior, watched him as a pro. We've got some mutual friends. He's uh, We were just talking about uh, guys who made a difference in Calgary. Well, he's he's got some great Calgary connections, and my guess is when it's all said and done, uh, in Wales, they might build a trope uh, statue for him. Very pleased to have join us today, uh, Brody Dupont. Everybody, uh, Brody, the head coach now of the Cardiff Devils of the uh, Elite Ice Hockey League. Brody, can you hear me all the way in Wales today? Yeah, it's coming through. I don't know if I have a bad echo here or not, but um, nope, you're I good. Sadly, didn't have a microphone other than my daughter's karaoke microphone, so I didn't think that would be a fitting for the podcast. <laughs> Uh, listen, I appreciate you doing this. You're um, right in the middle of things right now. If I look at the table, uh, third in the league. Uh, where are you at in your season, and and what what lays ahead for you and the Devils? See, the big thing about the difference of this league is the league is the big the big one you want. You want to win that regular season. So to be in the conversation at this time of the year, um, that's massive for our club. Cardiff, for people who don't know um, what they're about, um, you know, basically there's actually a Calgary-based ownership yeah. group, and, and they have a they have a history of winning. So um, that was a really big uh, opportunity for me to come here and play as a player, and then to give me the opportunity as a coach um, meant a lot. And right now, this season, we're chasing down that league title. Um, we're right there in the mix of things. There's there's uh, four of us at the top that have kind of separated ourselves. And, you know, it's been a lot of fun. It's, um, it's a bit different coaching, but, um, you know, you learn on the fly and, and still to be a part of the game has been so much fun. Uh, the bulk of this conversation is going to be about, uh, about the Devils and, and, your, and your journey. But I do want to just take it because right now, as you know, in North America, we are all wrapped up in the NHL trade deadline and who's going where and that. Does, does that hockey news, does that? Does that permeate? Are you guys, you know, are you coaches talking about it or you North American players? Are, are you guys invested in what goes on at the National Hockey League in a day-by-day basis? Yeah, I mean, we follow it. We all have uh, ties to home. We have a quite a North American room. We have six British players and the rest are from North America. So we have 15 imports, um, you know, and they're all from North America. You come in the room, the hockey highlights are on, NHL is buzzing. Um, we start a little bit earlier, so it's kind of strange at the beginning of our training camp because the NHL hasn't began yet. So it's, it's just kind of this awkward, no TV in the room, watching highlights, you know, guys are, are talking. But once the season gets going, we're watching. Certainly saw the Rangers made a couple of big moves. Um, you know, <laughs> I obviously follow them a little bit um, sure. as well. Um, you know, so, so you, it's always an exciting time of year with the deadline that, that looms and, and some big moves happen around the league, but it, it's a, it's a point of conversation in the coach's office. Um, you know, especially when big deals like that are going down, uh, it, it's exciting time for hockey. Third round pick of the, of the Rangers back in 05. Did you ever get a crack at, at playing in Madison square gardens? Not at MSG, a quick warm up. Um, you know, I went up for a week and, uh, you know, the coffee was still hot when I left to go back to the minors. But, you know, the experience was, was uh, you know, you couldn't replace that feeling, obviously, for every kid. I was just proud to make it. Um, you know, one cool story about Chris Drury when I, I got to play on his line. Um, and, you know, after my first shift, he sits me by me on the bench and he basically just says, hey, kid, um, 
how was that? I said, yeah, it was good. A little nervous, but I'm good. And he basically says, well, you're in the NHL record books now. No one could take that from you. So let's just go play some hockey. All right. Sort of calmed me down. Thought it was kind of cool. Um, great, great teammate, great leader. And, you know, it was just a great way to kind of get me into the game. But um, it was up and down real quick, but I enjoyed every second of it. So what, what do you think? I mean, you know, they get Kane yesterday, arguably the greatest American player of the modern era. And, you know, it already added some pieces. Uh, your former club, they're going concern in a very tough Eastern Conference. They've gone from good to dangerous, yeah. um, you know, and I think now they're, they're going to be true contenders. Um, you know, Patrick Kane's one of those deals. Probably they're looking for a guy that, you know what, maybe on the statistical side of things, hasn't been having his best year, but it's not necessarily the point per game they're looking for. They're looking for that big goal, and he's done it in, in big moments. And, and, you know, so he, they're looking to maybe surround him with a bit more speed maybe than the, the Blackhawks had and yeah. obviously a bit of a blockbuster move there. Um, so just kind of uh, interesting to see how that all came together. You heard the rumors swirling forever and, and uh, you know, for it to come together, it'll, it'll be interesting. I mean, the games come on, obviously the West coast games are definitely a no go uh, <laughs> East, East coast games. You know, you can pop on, you know, at 1am and, and catch some games if you're feeling real adventurous. I mean, I got three kids at home, so during the hockey season, it's kind of tough because as a coach, what I've learned is uh, sleep is quite uh, sparse anyways. So, you, you know, you definitely want to manage your time. But um, we follow the highlights um, and it's going to be an interesting playoff. That's for sure. Uh, back back to you. And I'm going to work a little bit backwards. We mentioned you were drafted by the Rangers. You p- played in Calgary. We'll get back to Calgary stories in a bit. But I want to go back to last year because last year you come to Wales with the intention of playing but also as a coach too tell us what brought you to the team well um i'll start with um basically the ownership group is what sold me um you know i i had i'd been over in europe for you know parts of eight years um just had our third kid covid hit you know flights were kind of all over the place took us maybe 27 hours to get home um from i live in new brunswick now in in the off Mm -hmm. seasons and so it took us quite a journey to get home. And, and we figured, you know what, if there's going to be anywhere to play next year, I'll be back in North America, you know, obviously on the latter part of my career, we'll see, we'll, we'll try to be choose picky where we go. Um, Cardiff calls and, it, you know, ultimately I get on the phone with Steve King, who is the um, head, head, uh, you know, he's the, I guess he's the main financial guy with Todd Kelman, who kind of originally started it. And they brought in the partners, Brian Parker, Kelly Hughes and Craig uh, Shostak. And, but, you know, Steve just kind of told me a bit about their culture, um, what they represent, how they treat their players, what kind of opportunities they can offer the, my family. My kids are going to school. It's an English speaking country primarily. Um, and, and obviously all that, you know, uh, just kind of seemed quite appealing. And it was a league that I hadn't tried yet. So we just thought, you know what, there's a player coach position, assistant mm-hmm. coach position available. I know I want to get into coaching. I've been I've been looking at this for the past 10, 12 years. I even took some coaching courses when I was playing for the Hitmen. So it's something <laughs> oh, wow. that it's something that I've always known I've I've wanted okay. to prob- probably do post hockey. And I've journaled, you know, for 12, 10, 12 years. And so I had a good idea. You know, I just didn't expect it to happen the way it did. You journaled for 10 to yeah. 12 years? Tell me yeah, about it. Well, you know, you'd be, you'd be amazed, you know, you'd, you'll go find a hockey player who's played professionally for 15 years and you'll say, draw me a practice, give me a practice plan. 
because they've had great coaches along the way, no doubt. And a lot of them have forgotten a lot about how the drills have gone. Right. So that's one element I would do. I would just, I would just detail the drills and how they went down. So that would one element. The other element would be certain philosophies that I, I appreciated and, you know, some that I felt were just garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so I, I put down both though. I thought they were important. Um, you know, systems that I liked playing, systems that I, I enjoyed as a player, um, systems I felt like were effective, systems, systems that I didn't feel like were, were uh, really that good. And, and as obviously the years go by, you have to evolve. So systems maybe that I thought were great in Calgary in my junior days, you know, probably, you know, the game's change. It's faster. You play a little bit more pace. You play a little bit more with speed and, and, you know, you know, the certain elements of let's, let's say fighting, it's, it's kind of left. So you have four lines and then, you know, so the game's evolved. And so you have to evolve as well, but I just found it healthy to get my, my words out of my mind and into onto paper. And anytime I got to talk to anyone who was hockey, um, you know, I would go home later that day and I would jot down um, just some notes. Eventually I put it together and try to put a, some, put it in order, but um, so it would make sense. But I have a lot of jumbled notes, um, you know, sitting on my computer. I, I'm fascinated by this. If you wrote down both sides of the ledger, which was the biggest ledger? Did you, did you concentrate on the things that you would do or the things that you wouldn't want to do as a coach? You, I mostly concentrated on the things that I wouldn't want to do. Um, really? Yeah. And, and, and simply because I believe the mind is more powerful than the structure. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. a big thing for me is motivating my players and having them trust me and, and believe in me, um, you know, because let's face it, most of us know the game. We know yeah. a lot of us know the X's and O's. A lot of us, you know, have a couple of trick face off plays up our sleeve. Sure. Um, but if your players aren't willing to play for you, 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 you know, you, you got nothing, you have nothing. And um, that's kind of been the big thing moving into this year was, was just making the guys believe in me. Uh, a lot of reasons to doubt first year head coach. Um, yeah. You know, I was playing with most of these guys last season. Um, you know, they had me in the locker room. You know, one element I did have though, was that angle of, I knew what buttons to push. I knew right. how guys sort of worked. Um, but that also presents a challenge in you're going from a teammate to a coach now. Yep. And, and relationships, um, they, they evolve. I don't want to say they change, they evolve. And, and ultimately you're the one calling the shots. You always had an out as a captain. You can send them to the coach, right? Yeah. Uh, now I'm the coach. So I make the calls and I realize that. Um, but Rob, the biggest thing is communication. You have to just talk to these guys and, and, you know, whether they agree with you or disagree, you have to talk to them, talk them through your thought process, why you're making decisions and, and so, you know, it's been a great, it's been a great learning curve for me, sort of at an exponential rate. I feel like I've hit my rhythm a lot more to learn, but you, I've hit my rhythm and, and I've sort of, um, you know, established the, the type of hockey that, you know, I want to play and, and, and how it needs to be done. And, and, you know, so we're playing really well right now. I'm really proud of the guys and it's our final push, 10 games to go. So, so we're raiding the hunt. So Brody, let me ask you, because in my mind's eye, you played your major junior and your pro through a real interesting transition in hockey. You talked about pushing buttons. My guess is you probably played for some hard-ass disciplinarian coaches. But, you know, we've seen the game evolve. We've seen the player evolve. Did you see that in real time as a, as a player? Did you see the player, the game, the coaching, the way that a player is dealt with change? A big time. I, I was I was probably at the tail end of that change when I was coming through junior. So 
yeah, you watch it, you know, um, you go from anything from the mental part of the game to, you know, how players are, are taught, you know, players are skilled now. I mean, they're so skilled and, and, you know, they have more skill than I would have ever had or dreamt of having, you know, but I played a structured game and I had coaches that, you know, there was none of this, um, you didn't ever want to go in the coach's office. Yeah. You know, that was a, that was a bad, that was a bad thing. That was like, if the coach called you in, it felt like you're going to the principal's office and, 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 you know, it, it wasn't a good feeling. And because you, you, you knew usually or normally it wasn't to get, you know, a, a pat on your, on your butt saying, Hey, doing a great job. It was mostly say, Hey, you got to get your ass in gear. You yeah. know, you got to get going. And so now, now it's, it's, it's the communication and, and the level of conversation you have with your players, you know, you know, especially in our league where we, it's mostly a weekend league. So I have yeah. all week to prep and, you know, you're squeezing in. I might get, I might get 12 to 15 meetings a week sometimes, you know, just talking to my players, whether we're doing video, how are things going at home? Um, you know, we have guys that do MBAs, how's schooling going, yeah. um, you know, and, and you just want to check in. You want to make sure that everything's um, going well outside of hockey. And, and, you know, once you handle that, then you could deal with the stuff at the rink. But, um, you know, there's obviously some teaching that goes on, um, but, you know, a lot of the time they want to know why. Why are you, why, why are you making this decision? And, and you better have an answer. And, and, you know, so I work a lot with my staff and, and my GM and we, we talk a lot and, you know, so they, they've, and the owner might see the thing about my GM, my ownership group, they back me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you feel it, when you feel you, you're backed. Yeah. That support. And, oh, it's, it's very important. Right. Yeah. It gives me yeah. the confidence even more to move forward with, you know, my, my way of thinking and, and, you know, the way I want to approach uh, the game and the players and, and, you know, I want to add to the culture and I want to add something though. I don't want to just sit here and be a part of it. I want to add something to the culture, um, you know, and that's ultimately the goal uh, of being here in Cardiff and, and, you know, the, the byproduct is building my resume and, and, and you know, um, see where this takes me. So let's bring everybody up to speed. You, you come to Cardiff, you're a player coach, December, <laughs> you're kind of shut down with a, an injury, right? Yeah. At that point, um, I had kind of had an injury. And um, so essentially, you know, over, over in Europe, there's no system. There's no farm system. Yeah. So, so basically we work with a salary cap and it just happened. You know, I was taking a good chunk of the salary cap and I'd been playing through some injury that had just sort of accumulated over the years of, being a professional hockey player yeah and, sure. and 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 essentially what happened was you know they, they basically at christmas time um i had received another blow and and you know uh just basically they brought a guy in and they needed they needed some salary cap space so um i get put on the ir mm-hmm. um and we this kid ends up being a stud and and that was the hope that he can come in and produce more than what i was and he came in he did that um, and, but, the, but the other side of things was saying, we want to invite you on the bench full time. That's kind of, you know, the one thing about, you see, the one thing about Cardiff is that that was a promise. If, if you come in and things don't work out, we will, we will stand by you. So then I come on and basically they, they, they say, we want to offer you um, a place on the bench. We don't want to just fire you or send you home. Um, and, and so, so basically, I, um, there's this new injury, and I get put on the IR, and I essentially just stay on the IR, go on the bench, and um, there's a coaching change made with four weeks to go in the season. And um, basically, they hand the reins over. And 
that was completely unexpected. Um, then we go in and, and we, we don't win the league title in terms of regular season, but we have a playoff championship weekend. And for people who don't know, it's basically a final four weekend like NCAA. Okay. So we won it. Yeah. And I guess that was sort of my interview. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you won it. Did you, at that point, were you convinced it's what you wanted to do? Were you prepared to come back? Or were you hoping they were bringing you back at that point? As a coach? Yeah. Yes. I okay. was, uh, I, I had everything in line to basically formalize my application. And, you know, uh, it, it was kind of a wild story the way everything kind of went down. Um, I'm sitting in the room. I'll, I'll tell this quick story. I'm sitting in the room. Sure. And, and uh, so basically what happens is, you know, a lot's happened in my career. I go from playing to not playing. Mm-hmm. People don't realize how much, how much support you need from outside the, ho- the hockey world. I'm talking my wife and my kids. And so, you know, my wife is basically at the point it's uh, I forget when the, when the coaching change happened, but she, she had basically said, listen, listen, you've been, you've been a you know bit of a wreck up and down, you know, kind of battling with the end of my career. And yep. she's like, I just need a day. Do you mind if I go get my hair done and, and, you know, my nails or that sort of thing. And I was like, yeah, no problem. Hun. Um, let me, I'll tell you what, um, we got a short, we had a long week. I'll, I'll wrap my stuff up at the office. I'll head home. I'll grab my youngest. I'll drop you off at the salon. And I'll grab the other kids from school when they get out. Okay, no problem. So I basically, we do that. And I'm like, and as I'm returning, I go, I, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I forgot to print something. So I go back to the office and my phone's ringing and it's my GM. And I got my one-year-old in my arm and I'm at the <laughs> office, and I'm printing stuff. And he says, essentially, hey, we, uh, we, just, we just let Scaldi go. Um, you're the new head coach. And I was, I was kind of like, what? So I was like, all right, I got to come to your office. First of all, yes, I accept um, what happened. And, you know, they just felt like a change was needed. And, and so, you know, we essentially had to, he's like, we're going to address the team tonight at 5 PM. And I said, Todd, I have all my kids. I don't have a babysitter. So he said, bring (laughs) them down, bring them down. We'll get someone to watch them and we will address the team. It shouldn't take more than 30 minutes. Okay. So, you know, I called my poor wife. I said, you know that day you're supposed to have? Well, um, things just got a little chaotic. We have, uh, this is a Friday. We play on the Saturday. Yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking, um, because I was handling, the only thing I wasn't handling by this point was special teams. But so okay. I had to go get a special teams um, scouting report done for the weekend. I had to go watch a couple extra clips. So, you know, it ended up being quite a long night and long uh, weekend for me. But, you know, you're running off adrenaline um, and it's it sort of validated. Do you know when you get up and you're excited to do something, but you're yep. exhausted? Yep. I think that validated for me that, that, yeah, this is this is this is something I want to pursue. And as long as it's right for myself and my family and the situation is, is a good situation, it's something that I'm going to I'm going to go after as hard as I can. How easy or not easy, but how much easier did it make? the retirement portion is a player for you, right? Yeah. You have, yeah, you, you, you have that fear. Yeah. Okay. Where am I going to get my coaching job? Um, how do you apply for these coaches? We've had agents our whole life. How do we apply for these? Do I go back to my player agent? Do they represent coaches? Um, do I have to start as an assistant coach? What level can I start at? What's the money like, you know, um, you know, where do we go to, um, begin this journey what's the best place to put myself do i go to an academy you know like and and so you're trying to balance all this and it just you're right it just smoothened the transition for me um you you get that opportunity becoming a head coach at this level um 
you know, it just, it feels like I've sort of been fortunate to jump maybe a couple of years in, ter- in terms of not maybe having to do that assistant coach grooming role. I felt I was ready to be, be a head coach anyway. I, I see myself more as a head coach than, mm-hmm. than an assistant. Um, and, and that's just kind of my mindset. Um, I feel like I'm strong-minded and opinionated and I, I see the game being played a certain way and, sure. and, you know, um, so that's just my mindset. So the opportunity just knocked on the door and, you know, things have a funny way of falling into place. I believe if you work hard, things eventually fall into place. Yep. And, and, and so that's what happened in this case. And, you know, it's been a good run this year and, and we're looking to cap it. I just want to note that uh, you mentioned Scaldi, Jared Scaldi, former Flame. Uh, yep. You're owned by four Calgarians. You played in the, It's amazing to me how Calgary and Cardiff have all of these little connections, which it, yeah. you mentioned them. Um, and we'll get into your players in a little while because there's probably some connections there too. Um, let's just stop and talk about the playing career for a second because you had a really good run in the American Hockey League. You had a really, you know, some leadership with ECHL teams, but I'll, you got a chance to play in Austria. You got a chance to play in Germany. You got a chance to play in Italy. Uh, I think I'm missing. Hung- Was it Hungary or another De- country? Denmark. 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 Yep. Tell me about the decision to go to Europe and and you know what? Obviously, you're you know you're staying right now, but. Was it fun? Was it what you were hoping for? Was it what you were told it would be? My, my first year in Italy, um, you know, my wife and I, we just got in, we just became engaged. So we're like this romance, you know, story is going to happen. And we arrived. And for people who don't know, um, living accommodations are slightly different in Europe. They're smaller. Um, you're usually in a flat or an apartment. Um, you know, so just the way of life is a bit different. And, and so... You know, I, I think that first year was a bit of a, a shock to the system, um, but you get used to it. The people have been great. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to, to play over here, like I said, parts of eight years, enjoy different cultures, um, see how people, you know, people don't think all, all like that's also helped me. You know, we, you got to understand like different people from different cultures think differently and that's okay. And, and, you know, and, and, and until you live it, it's, it's one of those things that you can, you can get pretty bubbled up. And, and so it's, it was, it was really great playing in all those countries. Um, you know, obviously, um, just having the experience of my son being born in the U S my daughter, oldest daughter was born in Canada. My youngest daughter was born in Denmark. Um, so, you know, you kind of have that international feeling of, of traveling, um, you know, every culture offers, you know, a little bit of something that's different. I will say the Welsh are the most Canadian-like people. Oh, okay. Qu- quite polite um, in general, um, very courteous, very, very community community in, in the sense that it's it's very easy to interact with them. Um, you know, I have friends here that I'll probably be friends with for the rest of my life more than any other country. Um, I think part of that's a bit of the language. We, we speak predominantly English here. Welsh is a little bit more Northern Wales, but not so much in Cardiff. Um, so that helps, but... Um, every every country offered something different. Um, you know, the Danes were, were very very nice people. That was a great country. Uh, Copenhagen, we traveled to. We've been able to travel all over Western Europe and yeah. Western civilization. Um, and and it's it's benefited me. Um, we traveled. We've seen most of the world. You know, most parts that I I even want to see. I wouldn't want to go personally much further east than than maybe like a Czech Czech or Slovakia. Or I think they call it Czechia now. 
Um, but, uh, you know, for, for me, so I've, I've done everything I've really wanted to do in terms of travel. Um, and that's because of hockey. Um, we have our life because of hockey. We basically have everything to thank for hockey. Um, you know, so, so it was kind of used as a tool and, and, you know, kind of as a segue into my career that I'm in now. Tell me a little bit about your, your North American experience. As you're aware, we now have the Wranglers and we have American Hockey League hockey here in Calgary. Um, what was your American League experience like? Yeah, I had a great American League experience. Um, you know, my first taste was obviously being drafted, going to Hartford, playing in the original six. Um, you know, I have to say New York, you know, they basically give you no excuse to not succeed. You get everything you need. Um, you travel with class. You, mm. They treat you with class, um, you know, and our teams were competitive my first four years there. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, and so, it, listen, it, it's a great league. It's, it's the best development league in the world. Um, it's competitive. It's, you know, the biggest thing you, rec- you notice leaving the American League to Europe is the competition and practice. Hmm. Um, the intensity, the, the competition and practice is very high at the American League level. Um, whereas, you know, over in Europe, it's, it's competition, but it's a little more friendly, if you will. Um, you know, and so it just, you know, guys are clawing for that next level. You're constantly being evaluated. You're going up and down. There's a system in North America. And so my, my experience in Hartford was, was, you know, in a sense, Rob, you take it for granted when you're 20 years old. Sure. You know, you're coming out yeah. of junior hockey, playing in one of the best junior hockey cities, and you're going to one of the best NHL organizations. I felt a little kind of, you know, spoiled to be fair. And, and so you're there and you have these first, uh, you know, two or three years. Oh yeah. You know, I'm, I should be in the NHL, uh, mm-hmm. you know, only a matter of time. And then the third year goes by and you're kind of like, well, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting screwed over, you know, you know, so I'm better. I'm, you know, you're trying to, yeah. you know, I'm better than so-and-so. Why is he going up? And then a whole new slew of prospects come in. And then, and then next thing you know, you're a veteran. So, you know, that's what pushes a lot of players out is that veteran status, right? Yep. And it comes yep. quick. If you're, if you're healthy, it's four years, five years, and you're a veteran. So you're 25 years old, you're a veteran, and teams are only allowed, um, I think in the American League, it's five plus, eight, plus uh, I think, uh, I don't know if it's changed, but it's five veterans, I believe, and then one in-betweener, I believe. I'd be remiss if we didn't spend a little time talking about the Hitman. Um, gosh, you know, it's to me, it's like yesterday. I remember you, you were part of some really good Hitman clubs, some really good players. But darn near 20 years ago is when you started that. Um, what, what what brought you to Calgary? What were your first? Because you're a Manitoba guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, what was it like coming here? Well, I had I had family in Calgary. Yeah. Um, I, I, I you know, I went undrafted into the um, Western Hockey League. So I, I was fortunate to get quite a few invites. And my first thought was, um, I'm going to Spokane. I just I just want to get away and sure. I want to go as far as I can go. And, you know, my parents kind of talked me out of that. And then my my I had a letter pinned on my dad's old, uh, you know, those old Bolton boards, those pin boards. Yep. I don't think those exist anymore, but yeah. Um, so my letter was signed and sealed, ready to go to the Regina Pats. And John Townsend, who was a scout for Calgary out of Manitoba, gave me a call that night out of anybody just to say, listen, I think you should come to Calgary. And he was the only one to follow up after the letters. So I said, you know, what? that's pretty cool. We got family in Calgary. That makes sense. And so essentially I, I end up going to Calgary for a tryout. Um, I don't make the club as a 16 year old and I come back 
super disappointed, but I am protected and end up playing in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League for a year, which probably in hindsight was, you know, one of the best things that happened for me. Sure. I get tons of ice time as a 16 year old, a lot of success, confidence is growing, um, obviously evolving my game, playing against men or young men now. And, and I end up making the club the, the following year, um, you know, but like you, you mentioned the names that I played with. I mean, Ryan Getzlaff, right. Andrew Lad, Ladd, yeah. Jeff Schultz, um, Justin Pogge, who was a, obviously a Canadian icon at the time for World Juniors, yeah. Carl Alsner, Ryan White, um, you know, Pushkarev, uh, you know, I'm probably missing guys. Andy Rogers, first rounder to Tampa, um, you know, and the list just went on and on and on. And, you know, it's it, 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 Martin Jones, you know, yeah. um, he was a backup when I was leaving. And, and so, you know, it, it just, it's incredible that we didn't win the league. That was my biggest disappointment was I felt like we had the teams to do it. And, and we just couldn't get over that hump. I mean, Medicine Hat was a bit of our thorn, a thorn in our side, you know, with Darren Helm and Dorsett. And, you know, they had some good, good players there and, and they just always put up a good fight and, and they, they beat us out. Um, you know, my, my last year, I think they beat us out in the court and or sorry, in the conference final. And, and I remember Brandon beating us when gets laugh and ladder there. That was, that was, that was the seven game series, right? Oh, that was a stunner because we came back to Calgary for game six and lost. And then I had to get on that bus all the way back to Brandon. Well, you know, the, the one that stick, sticks out in my mind is that game one, because you beat Brandon 10-1 at yeah. Keystone Center. And the most incredible statistical anomaly that I ever saw was somehow Pushkara was minus one in that game. <laughs> like, of all the things. But that, but you, you, you know who you missed was a 16-year-old Alex Plant played in that series, right? Like, yeah. there was just Alex so Plant, much. Alex yeah. Right? There was just so much talent on those teams. It, it was, it was, it was kind of, um, when you looked on paper, I mean, every, every year in the hockey news, we are ranked in the top, you know, for sure the yeah. top 10 to start the season that year. I think we were probably ranked the top three, maybe top five. And there's so much talent. And yeah, we, we, we won 10 one. I remember that because I, I actually had a four point night and I thought, Holy crap. That might, that might stalk me in the draft a little bit. <laughs> so, so, you know, that was, that was, uh, quite a disappointing loss i just felt like we had them on the ropes and and we didn't finish them off but that's junior hockey i was gonna say right that's junior hockey at its best you watch it now i mean i went to watch i watched the st john i live out by st john new brunswick where the memorial cup was just held and and, you know the swings in that tournament and it just brings back these memories of like you think a team is in full control and that's where you see the junior mistakes happen and all of a sudden it's an exciting hockey game again well, I'm afraid I have to ask you one difficult question because I don't understand. You had family in Calgary, but how did you end up getting stuck with Dan Thompson as your billet? Like, that makes no sense to me, Brody, none. Well, you know, kind of a blessing for Dan. He would maybe argue that. You know, yeah. Best thing that maybe happened to him, you know. He, to uh, him? Yes. For him, him. yes. I'm for not him. worried about him. I'm worried about you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, well, funny story. We, we were in our first billets and, um, you know, things just weren't working out with myself and my roommate. And he was uh, Keegan Dancero. And yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so Dan, Dan, and so Dan, um, there's a, they're related somewhere down the line through a cousin in Saskatoon. Yes, that's right. Right. And so basically um, our billets, uh, they had, they had had enough of billeting and they had 
both of us. And so essentially Keegan was 16. Um, you know, he was having a bit of trouble and they wanted to get him somewhere comfortable. You know, he was supposed to be the next big thing coming through. Yeah. So, so they basically um, were doing everything they could to keep him comfortable. I was kind of the tag along and, and it was kind of like, Hey, we, you know, yeah, we'll take Keegan. And they're like, yeah, here's the other thing. We got this other kid who's living with him. Would you mind taking him for a couple of weeks? We'll try to sort out a new home for him. And, and to be fair, you know, I think Dan realized how good, how good of a kid I was and that I was the best thing that happened to him. And he's like, we'll keep him. And you know what? Um, I got to give a shout out to Kristen, his wife, who basically drives that family. She's you know? a saint. That's right. Saint, I, I say. An absolute saint. And so I got to give a shout out to her. And, you know, she, she was uh, everything and anything uh, a mom can be away from home. And, and, you know, one thing I, I will say, you know, all joking aside, I, I maintain my relationship with them and it's quite a close relationship. They flew out to New Brunswick to come to our wedding. You know, yep. um, we're in cons. I know Dan's down in San Jose at his son's, um, they're, yep. they're pinning his doctorate right now for yep. chiropractics. Um, and well, the, and the other funny thing about living there was so Brody and Adam, right? My brother, I have a brother, his name's Adam. How strange Ooh. is that? <laughs> That got confusing, I bet. A lot of confusion going on uh, in the house. And so, but it was great. We were busy. Four kids, Dan and Kristen, two hitmen, you know, idiots running around, you know, just doing our thing, playing hockey. And basically, you know, we had the time of our lives. You don't even realize it. And and it was fun. It was was so much fun. And, you know, Dan's Dan's been good for me. And, and, you know, we we banter back and forth quite a bit, um, you know. I'd still, I'll still beat him in golf and, and, you know, every, every such sport that he probably challenges me to Right. try to put a pool table in the basement one year that didn't go well, foosball table that didn't go well. Oh, he's a notorious, he's notoriously well at losing. Like he does so well at losing. He handles it like a pro. Just like right? a pro. Oh yeah, my God. <laughs> so he's probably clawing at his phone right now. Listening oh no, to he's, I'm sure. Yeah. Was, this is the greatest thing in the whole, are you kidding me? Somebody's talking about me. It's great. <laughs> and he's my fishing coach for those who remember from the old show. So uh, uh, yeah, he's a, don't, I won't tell him this, but he's a good man. So uh, yeah. and he actually helped connect us, which is, is fantastic. Yeah. He, he, at the end of the day, I'll just say um, best thing that could have ever happened to me was end up with the yeah. their care. Um, and, and you know what, they, they actually, listen, you're 16, 17 years old. You have to yeah. understand how influential people are over. That's why when you go and ask players, Hey, who's your favorite coach you, that you ever played for? Mm-hmm. You'll often get a junior hockey coach or a college coach. Yeah. And that's, that's because you're at such a pivotal point in your impressionable, in your, right? Yeah. Very impressionable. And so yeah. I was super fortunate to, to land in their house and, and, you know, help guide me and, you know, just sort of and, and walk me through the professionalisms of business and, and hockey and life. And, and, you know, and of course I had my parents, um, you know, um, I should mention them. They, you know, they, they obviously had a heavy influence on me and in guiding me through that. And, you know, but the fact of the matter is you live there in impressionable years and then you go home and, you know, I, I have kids now and it's one thing to give up your kids at that age. And, and so for my parents to, to allow me to do that, to pursue my dreams, I think they are quite happy that I ended up in a place like that um, where they could feel comfortable and they could sleep at night knowing that I was in good care. 
Brody, I'm going to bore you with a quick story because I want to bring it back to Cardiff. But in 1996, the Internet was brand new and the Cardiff Wales were one of the first teams ever to have a website. And they had a, a little thing on there for jobs. So I clicked on jobs and I sent my email. Sure, I'll move. I'd love to. And some somebody called me uh, from Cardiff and said, yeah, we'd love you to come over. And it never happened and all that. But I've always been intrigued by the team. Tell me about hockey culture in Cardiff. What's where does the sport fit? Okay. Uh, well, I'll just say this. In Cardiff, we we sell out every night. So we have mm-hmm. a building of about 3,000 people. So we have a loyal following. Um, you know, but we're in, fo- we're in football soccer nation. Yeah. You know, it's it just our reality. And being in Wales, we're actually in rugby nation more than soccer. Sure. Um, they, so we have the stadium in Cardiff. At, I believe it's 76,000 people. Um, when they get the, the, the national team going, um, New Zealand comes through, South Africa, mm-hmm. France all the big heavy hitters come through and they sell that place out. Um, then we have a team a soccer team that's in the championship league, which is one level below the premier league. Um, so they kind of have their following, but you know what? A Saturday afternoon, um, it, it basically goes like this. A lot of fans will go watch soccer in the afternoon. And then we have the 7 PM puck drop because it's a 3 B 3 PM kickoff. They'll go from soccer and they'll come over to the arena and it's a full sports day for them. And our fans are are loud and they're they're loyal and they're hard and and you know but but they are honest they are honest and and you know British fans are you know are quite um, you know they're involved in the game you know it's a different atmosphere not as much as like maybe the tri- European but we still have the we have the drums going yep. all game they're yep. loud our last game I thought the roof was going to come off um, and and so. That in that sense, it's a bit different, um, you know. So, but but you know, they come every game. They support you, um, and and it's it's really good environment to be in front of, you know, because the 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 loudness of our arena is a perfect size for how 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 many people come. But you go to Sheffield, I mean, they get they'll get nine thousand. I think we were leading the European, uh, all of Europe in standings last year, you know, or maybe this year at some point during the regular season we have a really good following and, and in the league in general, but it's certainly not up there with soccer. I mean, yeah, we don't compete. No. We, we don't compete with that. Uh, we don't compete with rugby, um, but we have our own little niche here and it's, it's, it, it works. And, and the league is shaking its reputation for being a fighter's league. Mm-hmm. It's a very skilled league now and it's very fast and it's very, a lot of good young players are coming here and now it's starting to be a league that can maybe catapult you into the second league in Germany. It can take you to Denmark. It can take you to Norway. Some guys can get out to the second league in Sweden, you know, um, which I know is probably just noise to a lot of people, but those are really good leagues. Yeah. Um, you know, Slovakia, you can go there from here. Um, you know, so, um, and then, and then we get some players like Brendan Mickelson, Yep. who played former here last flame. year, yep. former flame, right? Yep. He comes here. Um, we do get NHL. Brian McGrath played in um, yep. Nottingham. Um, so, so you know, it's it's not just a matter of, of it's a bad league. A lot of good hockey players come here. Um, you know, Brendan Mickelson, just not here in his late 20s because he's playing for the Calgary Flames. Yeah, yeah. Right? What about what about development though? Because I do know on your roster, you have some local products too. So is there is there minor hockey in, in Cardiff? Yes, there is, but it's not ran like it's back home. Okay, okay. so my, my boy's five years old. Okay, he's, he's in the minor hockey. So right now, the way they run it in Cardiff is they have a junior devils program. And essentially, it's a, ten, it's a U10, okay? They don't have anything below that. 
And essentially what you do is you go to this, you go to this clinic and there's six levels. Okay. And you have to clip through six levels and then you graduate to the U10s and then you can travel. But these kids are traveling for games three and a half hours away, you know, okay. uh, you know, two and a half hours away. And then, you know, so, so it's like, it's not like the, it, it's just an easy sport. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so they got a lot of, a lot of growth to, to have um, our, our particular team. We have some of the, the better British players, um, mm-hmm. You know, we got some young Brits that, um, you know, we, we want to develop. They're, they all participated in the friendly matches for um, our Team GB. For, so they all represented the national team. And they were just up in the first first group for World Championships. They got relegated last year. Um, and all our players participated in that tournament as well. And so, so you know, we do have that going. Um, in terms of the development, here's, here's the really fine line with the development in this league. Because the league is so important, September 1st is just as important as March 1st in terms of you're chasing down the league, points matter. And so you're trying to draw that line with putting guys in situations to help develop them with winning a hockey game. Sure. And, and you know, winning um, matters. We are in a professional sport. And, and this is based on season tickets and to put seats and, you know, bumps and yep. seats, as they say, you got to win, you got to have a good product. And so there's an expectation. And, and so you got to obviously take care of that, but you also have a responsibility to the players to develop them. So, so we try to bring them up, but like my boy, my boy is in level five of six and he's five years old, just to okay. give you kind of an idea of where it's at. Um, if I were to drop him in Canada right now, I would suspect he'd probably, I mean, now he's five years old. We're not, you know, yep. I would suspect he's maybe a little bit behind though, just because, okay. you know, he gets on once a week, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough with my schedule as well. It's the weekend I'm on the weekend, you know, um, but that's where that is. But the hockey from what I understand has grown quite a bit. Um, I don't know what it was like previously before I mm-hmm. got here. Um, and, but they do have some programs in place to certainly, um, you know, help help encourage the game there's there's 30 there's probably about 40 kids out on the ice when my boys out there okay and so they, they're section they're sectioned off in the groups and they go they go saturday so group one through three is sunday groups three or four through six are saturday okay um to wrap up i just want to go back where we started you're in the middle of a a push here uh, I mentioned your roster. I saw Cole Sanford and, and uh, Trevor Cox, a couple of former Medicine Hat Tigers. One thing I did notice from some of your roster players from North America, a lot of guys that took the the scholarship route out of the Western League, went to U Sport and played. So you're getting them a little more seasoned. Is, is that is that a recruiting place for you? Are you looking at U Sports? Oh, big time, big time. Um, for multiple reasons. One, um, we don't compete with guys coming out of the American League. In general, they go to the DEL, SHL, Sweden, Finland, Switzerland. Sure. So you got you got to kind of coordinate towards your market. So CIS is a, a very good market for us. Um, ECHL is another very good market. Um, mm-hmm. And and you, you you typically the good thing about getting the CIS guys over maybe an NCAA guy um, sometimes can be that the NCAA player that you'll get will probably have been a third, maybe fourth liner. And because the top players are usually going to make that jump to the AHL, right? Whereas, so they haven't been in that situation where they've been relied on to produce offensively year after year. Whereas the CIS guys 
have probably been in a scoring role. So you're looking for those gems. You're looking for those guys that can skate. That's the first criteria. Um, and then you're looking for those guys who um, are looking for an opportunity to get to Europe and maybe aren't really sold on that North American um, uh, ladder that they feel is involved in front of them. Mm-hmm. They just want to go and enjoy and see how far this can take them. And so those are the type of players you're looking for. So you look for these diamonds in the rough. Um, we had some tip-offs about, you know, they came in last year, but I, I had heard about Cox and Sanford before they came in. They almost – we. Actually, we tried to recruit them to Denmark when I was oh, there. Okay. Okay. And, and so I knew who they were. And, you know, I, I had a brief stint with them um, on a line when I was playing. And, and, man, I was like, these kids are special, you know, and they're a lot faster than me. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Two more. One, you mentioned a little bit before video. Tell me a little bit about preparation and coaching and the, the access to data and information. How much do you have as a coach over there? Do you have analytics? Do you have video? Is, are those tools that you use? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, well, first of all, um, the hockey world's evolved. We're not on VHS, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Of course. So, so I have access to all the flames anal- or analytics. I have access to uh, the Wranglers. I have access to everybody I can pull off of Instat. Um, you know, so that's a big part of when we, when we're looking for a power play and why our power play maybe is struggling or, you know, mm-hmm. we, we will, we'll go look at who has the top power plays in the NHL. And then okay. we just go and we can, and then it's all, it's all basically it's broken down for us already. So you can just go pull, uh, you know, Tampa Bay power play. Let's go check, see what they're doing. Okay. Now let's go look at Calgary's. Let's go look at Colorado's. Okay. So that's kind of um, the web-based um, access that we have. And in terms of, uh, again, coming to Cardiff, I have a lot of resources here. So all my home games, I have in-house statisticians for me. Um, and they, I, they basically customize it to what I'm looking for. So, you know, whether, so like things like face off time on ice, um, Corsi, um, you know, and we, we kind of get a little bit more in depth with some other analytics that we try to look for. Um, and then, so I have that in house and then, um, we obviously, um, cut all the games on our com- computers. So we have access to our own, um, cut video. And then that is what I will ultimately analyze and dissect and then present to the guys will be off that video, but I could pull video from that instat. I can go and grab power plays or, or five on fives or whatever I want to find really. Um, it, it, they do quite a good job of breaking a lot of it down and you get as much as you want or as little as you want. It depends what you right. want to pay for. Right. My last one for you, I'm still fascinated by your journals. I think that is so cool. And I'm glad you shared that with us. But having said that, then who are the coaches that are influences for you? Because you add so many in such a wide variety, but are there any that stick out? Well, I mean, okay, so we go back. Who who are your most influential coaches? Well, I had Kelly Kissio. Yep. I had Dean Evison. I had Joel Otto. And I had Dave Lowry. Okay. <laughs> right? Pr- yeah. Pretty good, ca- pretty good cast. To, to I would say off, so. Kick off my career, right? So in terms of, I guess, direction – um, they had a heavy, heavy influence on with the direction I, I, I wanted to go, how the game needed to be played, and, you know, what type of uh, work was required. You know, if you ever see Dave Lowry, or his wife for that matter, in the gym, like, you know, they, they, they really kind of set the tone. Dean Evison is a very intense yet uh, motivational coach. You could see that in Minnesota. Um, Kissio brought a wealth of knowledge to the off-ice um, element that what was required to be a pro. Um, and, you know, he really ran a tight ship on the ice of the structure part of it. Um, and then 
Ots was great, you know, for face-offs and just teaching a lot of like the defensive side of the puck. Then as I, I you carry on my career, um, a lot of good coaches. I mean, Ken Jernander, I had him for five years in Hartford. He was really good. Um, you know, and Ian Herbers, who's in mm. the University of Alberta now, I had him for a stint in Milwaukee. And, and so the list goes on and on and on. And then um, I got to say, where I found my last stop in the ECHL, probably really kind of, I went from a like journaling to being like, okay, this is a guy that I think I can have mentor me maybe. And his name is Rob Fatorik. Oh, okay. Sure. So I played, so I played under Rob and um, essentially the way he approached the game, he had a way of, I felt simplifying it for the guys um, in a way that made sense defensively. Yep. And, and so it just kind of, uh, so I pick his brain a lot. Um, I've stayed in touch with most of my former coaches. Um, I call them for advice. Robbie would be one of them. And, but you know, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, when Robbie, I go in down to Norfolk my first year, um, last story here for you. Um, and I go down, it's November. I don't have a contract and I'm like, I just got to start playing hockey or I'm retiring. All right. Never been to the coast. I was a little bit fearful because, you know, we have a resume as players as well, but I have to start playing. So I'm like, all right, I'll call some teams. We'll get around Norfolk. Let's go down, head down to Norfolk. And this guy, uh, Brad, Brad Ad- Aldolf, I think his name was Aldolf or something like that. He was there such a short term. I don't remember really fully his name. That's how bad this is. But then this, he gets fired after six games. I'm like, oh my God, what kind of, what kind of situation did I walk into? We've hired this new guy, Rob Fatorik, and Ben Boudreau, who's Bo- Bruce Boudreau's Bruce Boudreau. son, yep. uh, who's the head coach of the Fort Wayne Comets. Um, he was the assistant coach. And so Benny Boudreau says, Kate, we have to come back for practice tonight or this morning. And then t- tonight we have to come back and we have a new coach, Rob Fatorik, coming in. All right, who's Rob? All, every, all, of, one, all of us are like, who the, who the hell's Rob Fatorik? And he goes, listen, my dad knows him. Like he's like, he's a great, good coach, coaching the NHL or coaching the NHL. Like none of us had a clue. So you yep. go on YouTube, right? TSN top 10, Rob Fatorik throwing his bench on the ice in New Jersey. Right. Yep. And, and we're thinking, holy crap, this is not good. And so uh, we basically, all we know is that he wants um, players that have name bars in their helmet for practice. He wants a stopwatch and he wants a whistle. And we're like, okay, yeah, we're just going to, we are going to get bag skated like we've never been skated. And, and you know what? It, it was quite the opposite. It was just a teaching day. He wanted the name bars just for, just with the tape, just because he didn't know anybody. Yep. And he, so that's kind of what he wanted. And, and I'll, I'll say this, I'll share this story. This is where it opened my eyes. I'm driving into the, um, into into practice for the evening we have our youngest daughter who was uh just maybe i think two years old a year old and so my wife's driving me back we have one vehicle um and the phone rings and I'm, i answer it unknown caller i'm like i remember i just got the i just mm-hmm. got the team i don't have everybody's phone number so i go hello who is this and they're like hey it's rob fatoric i was like yeah okay like fuck off <laughs> no. and and so he's like it's Rob Fatorik, your new head coach. And so I, I'm convinced somebody's messing with me. And then sure. after the th- third time, he's got that thick Boston accent, which I don't want to impersonate because I don't want to offend them if I do it wrongly. But, you know, he's like, basically, I don't know what to tell you, but this is Rob Fatorik, your new head coach. Um, is your wife with you? And my wife. I was like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, so I hand the phone to my wife. I'm like, hey, Kay. I was like, I don't know. He wants to speak to you. And you know, and so he gets on the phone and I was like, well, what did he want? And she's like, 
he just basically said, hey, listen, I'm Brody's new head coach. There's a lot of stuff to cover. I just want to apologize in advance. I will be taking a lot of his time for the next week. We will get you guys back into a rhythm. And I know you guys have a young one and it's, it's awfully heavy on the wives often. So I just want to call and give you that heads up. Wow. I thought, man, that's, that's pretty cool. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah so I think so. So from, so from that, that was my first impression and, and, you know, first impressions matter and, you know, they're not the only thing, but they matter. And, and so uh, I thought that was cool and I maintained a relationship with them. And like I said, I've had the coaches in Europe coach a bit differently structurally, you know, um, you know, I had Ben Cooper, who was the video coach for team Canada, mm-hmm. uh, Olympic winning gold medals, um, you know, and so, you know, I've had like enough coaches to go off of that. I I've taken a lot from a lot of guys and um, you know, so, so it's been, it's been a good, it's been a good experience. I mean, listen, hockey, hockey's fun. And when it stops being fun, then, you know, it's probably time to move on. Well, I'd wish we didn't have to move on because this has been fun. Brody, thank you. It's great to catch up. Love the stories. Love what you're up to. We'll be paying attention. Love the Calgary connections. My hope is we can get you back on here pretty soon. Yeah, hopefully with an elite uh, league season title or a playoff title or both. That would be fantastic or both. at the end of the year. I would love that. Thanks, Brody. All right. I appreciate it. Take care. Brody DuPont. Former Calgary Hitman, former third-round pick of the New York Rangers, and the head coach of the Cardiff Devils. Yes, that Cardiff. Over in Wales in the Elite Ice Hockey League as they are, uh, well, not really worried about trade deadline. A uh, reminder, we are in the Oodle Stoodle Nudio. Uh, nudio. We're in the Oodle Noodle Studio. How about that? We bring the heat. Try their butter chicken mac and cheese, Kung Pao noodles, Bangkok pad thai, classic vegetarian and gluten-friendly options. Pick up and delivery, two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North, Airdrie. Quickly, we uh, got our final mile here. Just want to make mention of a couple things. Congratulations to Flame alumni and former Flame Tough guy, uh, Tim Hunter, who uh, was named a couple of days ago to the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, announcement coming today. Calgary, will. here we are complaining about the lack of big events. Calgary will host the Special Olympics Canada Winter Games next year, 2024. Together we can is the slogan. Very excited about that. Want to wish everybody uh, the best of luck with that. Uh, Two things before we go. Ryan was telling me that apparently some of you uh, on the old social medias have been going, hey, uh, he's ripping off David Letterman. Look, it's David Letterman. Look, it's, it's Letterman. Yes. Hey, kids is ripping off Dave Letterman. That voice is ripping off Dave Letterman. That marquee is ripping off David Letterman because he is one of the biggest influences in my life. It is a homage to him, as we like to say. So yes, you are 1,000% completely ripping him off. Yesterday, I want to make note of a little thing that happened in an arena in Bowness. Um, as you know, I'm a, a, a supporter and an advocate for Heroes Hockey, which is a program that uses hockey to teach skills and, and get education for kids with difficult backgrounds. They're not in the system. They, they are outside the system. Um, they're not meant to be longtime hockey players, but they are meant to, to get the benefits of the sport. And it teaches them about, you know, discipline. And, and it's just really what the game is all about. But one of the things that happens, and we find it happens with our superheroes kids here in Calgary, although Hockey Calgary is great and most teams are great, in, in SO Minor Hockey Week and in the playoffs, for some reason, some parents and some coaches go nuts, nuts. 
and they show up two, three hours before a game. And one of the things that can happen is they can try to kick our teams out because the parents there don't value our sport and the way we play it because it's not as important as theirs. And if you think I'm making this up, I'm not. We've literally had parents dragging our bags out into the hall room. We've literally had parents tell us that our kids aren't valuable enough in the sport that we should be out of the way. So it's a major pain in, in, in my ass. It's a major pain in the ass of Kevin Hodgson and uh, the Heroes director. And, and we hate that part of hockey. Uh, yesterday in Bonas, the superheroes having a little bit of a tough day and a team showed up even before they got on the ice. And we thought, holy crap, here we go. Playoffs must be on. Well, that team didn't get the message that their ice had changed and they were there too early. But instead of causing problems and everything, they went on the ice and they they joined the Heroes kids and played games with them and worked with them and shared the ice with them and made them feel like they belong and made them feel like hockey players. Just want to tip my hat to the U13 AA Broncos for what you did yesterday. You don't know it, but you made a huge difference in some kids' lives. Two days to go till the trade deadline Friday. We're going to have a show. Who's going to be on that show? You're going to have to stop by and check in uh, because I'm not telling you. I'm not. You're going to have to find out for yourselves. Monday, Kelsey Snow will join us in studio. I cannot say enough about our guest today, Brody DuPont from the Cardiff Devils. And how good was how good was Danny Austin from Post Media? And how good is this guy, Princey, our producer? Amazing work today. Thanks to everybody for stopping by. This is Just a Game with yours truly. We'll see you on Friday. Can the reach of a plan sponsor extend beyond the retirement plan? With financial well-being support from Vanguard, you can help your employees gain the peace of mind to embrace all of life's moments. Discover Vanguard well on your way. Visit institutional.vanguard.com to unlock financial well-being. All investing is subject to risk. 3.5% 